theyeshiva.net. The first column, page 113. We're holding towards the end, we're reaching the end of the first paragraph, before the paragraph that starts Vihine. So we are introduced here to an explanation in the term that is used so frequently in the literature of Torah's Hanister, of Sifre HaKabola and Sifre Chsidis and Sifre Musar also, known as Klippus or Klippa in the singular, Klippus in the plural. Klippa means in Yiddish Ashalachts, Vizakun Bayach Klippa, Rebezriya, Shalachts. Has he been in bells? Okay. That's what I was wondering if they say it in the, by the Galiziana. The fact that they say it by us, huh? Okay. Shalachts. Shulachts. Yeah. Yeah, a shell. Probably shalachts is connected to the etymology, no shell. Which is, of course, a husk or a peel. And the klipa is, as he puts it, it's chayfefes, umakefes, apriya It hovers over, it eclipses, it surrounds, it encircles, and it also masteris. It eclipses, it conceals, as he gives an example of a walnut, which, as I said, is a very explicit example, obviously. He could have used other fruits as examples, because there's a complete concealment there, and you have to mamish crack and break. And unlike a banana, which peeling the shell is also necessary, but it's an easier process, the reason he gives a muscle of an egg is because you need to break the clipper. You need a nutcracker. You literally need to crack it. In other words, it's not easily accessible. Sometimes the peel, the husk is so dense, it's so opaque, it's so thick, that it's not easy to get through it. And it takes a lot of work in order to break it. This is what we call shviras haklipas, the breaking of the clip. You can make a good case that in our world it's a walnut, but at each level of Ishtal, once it was a banana, once it was... Indeed, uh, exactly. And that's the point, that in the evolution of all of the worlds, the clipus changes from thin layers to thicker layers, to a point of a grape. A grape also has a, a, also has a layer, but it's, it's a, a membrane, Right but you completely could see the fruit. And not only that, you eat it with the fruit. I mean, you could peel it, but it's edible with the fruit. That's how close the proximity is between the clipper and the pre. And then sometimes you can't eat the clipper. Sometimes eating the clipper is even healthy. That's what they told us about orange peels. They still say it, or they discovered that it's a killer. Okay. What about the The clipper comes before the pre. Because, huh? The clippers kadamis lepri. Yeah, the clippers kadamis lepri. Um, sometimes, that's the that's the system. That's the order. Now, of course, of course, a lot of the nuts you have a clipper, but a clipper, yeah, of course. And Hilchas Shabbos, in Simon Shin, in Simon in Simon Shin Chaf, in Simon in Boyer, Simon Shin Yitas, we learned you have sometimes a few uh, a few clippers. So that's how it is physically. What does it represent on a spiritual level? Why are there realities that we call clip and clippus? So here we have the very critical and, and extremely essential definition to understand not only the concept of this mime, but many concepts that are relatable. 
And that is that there's basically two types of realities. There are realities that are real, but what makes them real is that there is a concealment. If there was no concealment, they would lose their realness. In other words, they would lose their legitimacy. They would forfeit their very identity. Because reality is concealed, because there is a shell and a husk, I don't mean a physical one, it could be a physical one too, but a metaphysical one, a conceptual one, that gives legitimacy to the reality. Now, of course, this can operate in so many, on so many different levels and gradations. How much distortion? Sometimes, for the reality to exist, there has to be layers and layers and layers of distortion. I think Churchill said that in a time of war, truth is so precious it has to be protected by bodyguards of lies. He also said about the Soviet Union, I have to remember the quote, it was a brilliant quote, the Soviet Union is an enigma wrapped in a riddle. Do you remember the quote? Uh, The Soviet Union is (laughs) an excellent quote. It's an enigma wrapped by a riddle, (laughs) something else. In other words, and if if you know something about the Soviet Union... He was basically saying there's no way to figure out. Uh, there's no way to figure out. There's not a word that comes out of Russia's mouth, especially in the good days of communism, that uh, that was true. Yeah. Huh? What, say, say the quote. Say the whole quote. I cannot forecast to you the action of Russia. It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. A riddle wrapped by a mystery inside an enigma. That's the Soviet Union. Right. So nothing that came out of its mouth was true. The distortions upon distortions upon distortions. And that is what gave them legitimacy. As a, as, a, as a Jew once told me, he says, in Russia, if you went to visit Russia, Rabbi Rakefet told me, in Russia, you went to visit the 60s and the 70s, they had nothing. They were broke because, you know, the system of socialism didn't do, didn't uh, create the paradise that uh, Lenin promised us. He said, but one thing everybody had, everybody had a television. Every house had a television. Why? Because that government sponsored it, because the television was the key tool for propaganda. How could you not give them a television? The television was the main thing. This was the channel for propaganda. Essentially, when you need propaganda, that is what protects you. That is what preserves you. So we have here a very important idea. Any reality that is based on concealment, in order to gain legitimacy, that reality in, in Yiddishkeit is called a clipper reality. Why do you call it a shell? Not because it has a shell. Because it is a shell. It is a shell. That is the definition of its metzius. Its metzius exists. Its reality has power because it's a shell. It blocks. How much does it block? Is a question. Sometimes it blocks an enormous amount. Sometimes there's a more subtle distortion. Sometimes there's a horrific distortion. Sometimes it's a distortion that lasts for 500 years. Sometimes it's a distortion that lasts for a day. Sometimes it's a distortion that lasts 70 years. Kedusha, on the other hand, is not called Klippah. Why? Because by definition, even if all layers are removed, even if all, all shells and husks and coverings are eliminated, its legitimacy will not be challenged or questioned because it's real. What do we mean it's real? Its realness is not derived from the fact that truth is being covered up. Its realness is derived from the fact that it is real. Why is that the case? The answer is because Hashem Melekim Emes. 
as the Pasuk says in Yirmiya. Hashem Elikim Emes. There's one truth in the world. That truth is the truth of Ein Saif, the truth of infinity. Something that's part of that truth, expressive of that truth, indicative of that truth, reflective of that truth, really exists. It doesn't have to cover up. Anything, however, that denies that truth, if truth was revealed, its nothingness would emerge. If its nothingness would emerge, it wouldn't be able to exist. It certainly wouldn't be able to pose a challenge. That's why, by definition, this God of truth created a Metzius called Klippa. It was intentional. A Metzius, that its reality is based on the fact that truth is covered up. So now you have Me'of and Klippa that increases and increases, layers upon layers upon layers, to a point that truth is not recognizable. That's the question of how deep the distortion, how powerful the distortion, in quantity and quality. But the principle remains the same, yeah? Well, this is where the avoid of a person comes in. This is where Torah comes in. The real function of Torah is to be able to articulate what is a cover-up and what is not a cover-up. But this is, this is a lot of work of a person to be able to break the shell and get to the depth within inside the clipper. And remember, in the case of the physical marshal, it's not, it doesn't work so well because the fruit is right inside here. In the case of the spiritual, yeah, we have to understand it, that the clipper also has fruit inside of it. It has divine energy in it because the very clipper comes from divine energy. Because without divine energy, nothing can exist. So how does this process happen? This is called the process of Shvira Sakelem of Olam in other words, it couldn't happen gradually. It had to happen through a breakdown. In other words, there had to be trauma. This process can't, Klippa can't develop gradually. Kedusha can develop gradually in a process of evolution. We call it Hishtalshalos. Because it's from one state to another state to another state. Klippa, the transition is not a gradual one. The transition is a traumatic one. And that trauma is known as Shviras HaKelem of Oilamatayu, spiritually speaking, I mean. I don't mean trauma the way we call our trauma in our lexicon, although it's connected. It's, it's, one is rooted in the other. The original trauma of all traumas is, after the tzimtzum, that's the first trauma, but after that is shviras hakelem of oilam atayu. What shviras hakelem of oilam atayu? It's basically that all the divine sparks get terribly distorted. They're not cohesive anymore. They're not integrated. They are shattered. And when something is shattered, so now you cannot piece it together easily anymore. So you have energy, but the energy is used in a way that is contrary to its very mission, to its very essence, to its very core. And what happens is, the very energy of the Ein Soif suddenly gives rise, for example, to a paroi, who's liya So now the question a person has to ask himself is, in life, how much of your life is based on a clipper and how much of your life is based on emes? For example, how many conversations during the day do you have that are alive because of cover-ups? How many interactions are based on clipper? How many interactions are based on Gdusha? How many things during the day do I say 
that the appeal of these things is only because I'm covering up something. Or I'm speaking in a way of cover-up, deceptively. If a person examines their life and their schedule, this is a very, very conducive process for real spiritual growth. To be able to weed out from the day those things, those relationships, those encounters, those conversations, those gestures, those words, those actions, that by definition they're called clipper. Why? Because the only way they can exist is if there's a cover-up of truth. Because by definition, such a life is a life of a lie. That's its very definition. So now take a, a, a business, or a yeshiva, or any institution, right? Will they allow the government, or will they allow an outside inspector to come and check the books? Will they allow it or not? The answer is very simple. <laughs> if it's legit... Which set? Huh? Which <laughs> very good. <laughs> the answer is very simple. The question is, the guy that's coming in to check it is not in tune, and he's full clipper, so he's the only... How can he that's, our, that's our excuse. <laughs> that's our excuse. As a stick clipper. When we don't realize, we're using the word clipper on the one who may actually help us extricate ourselves from it. Now, I'm not now getting into legal details of, of, of people and institutions. It's not my field and it's not my place to judge anybody or anything. Especially not when it comes to money and when it comes to paying payrolls and bills and all that. I'm just bringing out a point. If my books are legitimate, you could come and look at them and you could come and look at them and you could dig and dig and dig and dig. It's fine. You know, as they say, I think Lincoln said it, if you're going to lie, make sure you have a good memory. Right? Because if you ask me, my wife, where were you last night? If I say the truth, there will not be any contradiction. Because to truth, there's no contradiction. But if I make up a lie, and then the next day I have to remember the old lie so I could continue it. And sometimes people, for 10, 20 years, they have a meridic as a current because they keep on maintaining the line. You always have to make sure not to be caught. If you don't have a good memory, make sure you just say the truth. And it's a. Huh? If you lie, you should lie to yourself. Okay, that's also helpful. That's also very helpful. So then it also works. Another interesting thing is, lies, there are many. The version of a story that is not true, there's many. Truth is always one. In other words, if I tell you where I was last night and it's not the truth, I can get, come up with 1.2 billion stories. If I tell you the truth, it's always one story. It's always one story. So the question here is, if my books are legit, you can examine them. I don't care. Why? Because put them under the light. Nothing will happen. But what if I'm not legit? Then the moment you scrutinize it, the whole thing falls apart. That's what we said about Vashti. The challenge with Vashti is that she can only live in clothes. There's that famous story, right? The emperor has no clothes. The emperor has no clothes, but sometimes you have the opposite. The clothes have no emperor. That's what clip is. It's clothes without an emperor. And that's a much worse tragedy than an emperor without clothes. An emperor without clothes is not diplomatic. Okay, he forgot about the he didn't get the memo that after the eight sadas you have to get dressed. But clothes without an emperor means there's nothing there but clothes. So the clothes are glaring. Now very often you have such people. They're all about clothes, but there's no emperor. We all know it. You talk to somebody, there's nobody there. There is just a mask. An empty suit. An empty suit, literally. Sometimes you talk to a person, there's nobody there, nothing there. 
Everything is prehearsed. Everything is calm. Everything is fake. How much, how deep, sometimes they don't even know about it. They so much live entrenched in that reality and it becomes a tragedy. The biggest tragedy is when people of depth meet these types of people and then they blame themselves for being antisocial. They're not antisocial. They're just looking to speak to somebody, not to speak to a mass. And you have to be sensitive to these things and not blame yourself. Sometimes people just live in that reality. They don't know of any other reality. That is the reality. It's always only masks. There's no honest conversations. Right? Sometimes you can go to a simcha, go to an event, you're sitting with somebody you, for an hour, you will not, nothing honest will come out of anybody's mouth. It will just be one mask with another mask with another. So some people are professional at it. They're just excellent. They have a comment for everybody. that Your tie, your glasses, the shape of your nose, the shape of your eyes, your new shoes, I didn't see you in nine and a half years. You changed your name. What are you doing? Where are you going for the summer? What did you sell? What did you buy? Some people don't know how to do it, and they're miserable at these events. They're miserable. They run away after three seconds. Huh? Politicians. Politicians are, yeah. Some of them are uh, are very skilled at it. Some of them are not. But the Nakuta here is, it's all the same concept. So a person ought to ask themselves in their life, how much of my conversations, my relationships, my friendships are this, and how much are this? In Kedusha, you could put it under the light that will not fade into oblivion. Why? Esther also means concealment, but it's a different type of concealment. Sometimes you have to conceal things deliberately, on the contrary, because you want to reveal. That's the difference. In Kedusha, all Hester is for the sake of Gilui. In Klippa, Hester is for the sake of Hester. Meaning, a Rav wants to teach his students, if he shares everything he knows, he will not be doing his job. Because he wants to share with them, therefore he has to conceal a lot of the message. If you're a therapist and you see a lot about the patient, you can't share everything because he'll have a breakdown, he won't come back. You have to sometimes feed it in a deliberate way. You're also concealing. But there the concealing is because you want to communicate the full truth. But the process of communication is you have to give a a child baby food. You can't give them more than baby food. If not, you lose them completely. Esther also means concealment, but it's a different type of concealment. Intimacy has to be concealed. Because if it's exposed, you lose its power. Huh? That's the concept of modesty, yes. Yes, yes. Don't confuse it with Klippa. Klippa, the Hest... Tznius also. Tznius is in order to reveal yourself. We live in a world that if you reveal everything, you conceal. And if you conceal, you reveal. Because if you conceal certain parts of a body, you actually... If you reveal certain parts of a body, you actually conceal that there's a depth behind that body. The whole person is only a piece of meat in their own perception, and that's how they're selling themselves. So concealment in Kedusha is part of revelation. In fact, it reveals, that's a function, to reveal the totality of the personality, not just one aspect of a person's flesh, in terms of dress. And the same is true in all types of concealments. Vashti, on the contrary, by her the concealment is for the sake of concealment, because of this revelation, oigeval, that don't exist anymore. That's why all clip is going to hold on to concealment and fight for it till the last breath. That's also pshat. It's often brought in chassidus that ra, ra, evil, doesn't have a reality. So people often read it in Svarim HaGadoshim and they make a mistake. They think it means it doesn't exist. <laughs> but what that does is it makes people doubt reality and also makes suffering look insignificant. Sadly, 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 evil has a lot of reality. And it has a lot of power. 
It has destroyed millions and millions and millions of innocent lives. Take communism. All of communism was based on a lie. There was not a word of truth that came out of the communist regime. Not of Lenin's mouth, not of Trotsky's mouth, not of Stalin's mouth, not of Khrushchev's mouth. You couldn't trust them with anything. Nothing. I'm not going to talk about Putin at the moment. That's a, that's a separate parsha. Nothing. But look, what, what, look how many people were killed. 50 million people. The same is true with this, the Nazi regime. All based on Sheker. But it has tremendous, tremendous power. When it says in Kabbalah and Chassidus that Ra doesn't have a Metzius, it means it doesn't have a Metzius of Emes. Because it doesn't have a Metzius of Emes, therefore it's <coughs> destined to be obliterated one day. Because since ultimately truth emerges, when truth emerges, it will fade into oblivion. But of course there's a time in history when the world lives off distortions and then they can thrive and use that power to destroy horribly and horrifically. But Jews never gave up. Why they never give up? Because they knew that Ra has power, but it doesn't have ultimate endurance. Because it doesn't have real substance. Substance it has. Powerful substance it has to the point that it can destroy millions of lives. But real substance, eternal substance, that it never has. And that is what kept Jews going. They knew that Sofkal Sof, ultimately truth emerges. And when truth emerges, some things will not, just not continue to exist. And that's what happens. Sometimes it takes too many years, but that's basically what happens. The light shines at some point, and suddenly the lie just fades away. Not because you have to fight it, because you see there was nothing ever there. It was only there in perception. And that perception itself was a product of Klippah. The fact that you could perceive a lie and call it truth, that itself was a product of Klippah. And the way Hashem allows for this process is the breaking of the kalim of Toyu. In other words, that itself is part of the divine energy that is profoundly distorted in the breaking of the vessels to the point that the nitzutz is completely concealed. What does it mean concealed? It's really divine. But it's being expressed in a way that's completely <coughs> contrary to its own raison d'etre, to its own very soul, to its own very essence. In other words, it becomes a klippa. And sometimes what that means is you, have to, you can elevate that energy. Sometimes you have to break. That depends on the situation. But very often you can elevate that energy because the energy itself is always divine energy. However, it gets distorted through this process of Shvira Sakalim of Toyu. That's what it means in the become darkened. They become eclipsed. But what is this clipper? This clipper is that it cannot see reality anymore, any longer. Now you'll ask a question. What is the greatest clip in the world? What is the greatest lie in the world? What is the greatest shekhar in the world? The ultimate greatest lie in the world is that there's something, including me, at any moment, at any space, at any experience, at any given moment in life, that is detached from God's infinity. In other words, when you look at yourself, start with yourself, as I said in the first share in the Maimon, and you see yourself as divorced from Hashem, you feel Hashem is not with you and in you at this very moment, in this very space. As Yaakov Avinu says, If I cannot say, I mean physically and also conceptually, in my soul, in my mind, in my heart, that is the beginning of all klippah. The distortion 
that there's something outside of Ein Saif. Or as he puts it here, I fail to see the oneness and unification of all of the worlds with the infinite presence of Hashem which gives them life at every moment. And who are all these worlds? It always begins with my world. So when I look into my heart, and what do I feel? I feel alienation, I feel loneliness, I feel that I'm messed up. Ain't Soif is messed up. Ain't Soif can't be messed up. That means I am living in a shell. I can't ignore it. I am living in a shell. We live in shells. But I have to know that's the first shell. That's the first husk. Why? It's distorting the truth. But sometimes I could live my whole life with a distortion. My mind could be operating based on a distortion. In fact, all of healing is basically getting rid of the layers of distortion. Closer and closer and closer to the truth. And when you discover that truth, then you don't need healing. You are always there. That's the key. You don't, nobody needs healing. Everyone is wholesome. Well-being is not a privilege of people who went for psychoanalysis for 25 years. It's not a privilege. Well-being is your state of reality. However, sometimes I have obsessive or non-obsessive distortions that don't stop playing in our brains. And when I could go a little beyond that, then I could just let go. You just let go. You don't have to do anything. You just let go. Just be. It's a, it's a total parallel with physical health as well. Yeah. It's a total parallel with physical tell health. Us, tell us, tell us. I think that most lack of physical health is some body system getting distorted and losing its original vitality and vitality and oneness and something is out of sync out of sync right we're out of sync now sometimes what happens in life is you get a peek into a world outside of distortions you get a little view sometimes for a minute sometimes for a day sometimes for a few days you get to see something but then you almost go, you're thrown back into another world. It's called Kafa Kela. In Gemara, it's called Kafa Kela. And you want to go back to that reality because you saw it. If you never saw it, oh, you're good to go. <laughs> you're good to go. Right? The Balshandu says, Vanoichi Haster, Aster, Panai. He says, The problem is not Hester. The problem is Haster, Aster, as the Hester is Behester. The problem is that the concealment is concealed. The fact that I know there's a clipper. It's already Yediyah Samach Lechatsi Trupa. I know, I can identify and say, I'm now living in distortions. You're already not bad. This is pretty good. <laughs> you can identify the trauma. You can identify the voices that are distorted. You're pretty good. The knowledge of the illness is half the cure. Yediyah Samach Lechatsi Trupa. It says already from the Rishonim. When the Hester is Behester, ah! It was a chassid of the Tzamech his name was Reb Hillel Pari of Parich, in the Ukraine. Parich was sitting in the Ukraine. So he was once, he was a Fabrengen was once, so he asked somebody to go bring wine from the cellar. So they went down to the cellar, and it was pitch dark. It was in the middle of a gedichte, shmua, so a very open Fabrengen, so it was pitch dark. So he says, it's really dark, there was no, no light, you know, real pitch dark, we don't really understand it today. There's always a light somewhere. So uh, he says, Ixzenisht, Ixzenisht. so somebody says, You'll stay a few minutes in the cellar and your eyes will get used to the darkness and you'll be able to see it. He says, yeah, that's what I'm afraid of. <laughs> that's what I'm afraid of. You get used to the darkness. 
Zacharnu es hadaga shenoichel b'mitzrayim chinam. Egypt becomes the paradigm for paradise. Why? Because they had sushi. Zacharnu es hadaga literally because they had free sushi. Daga, the fish from all things. That's what they chapped on. Egypt becomes the paradigm for paradise. Svasemes says it says in Vaera Vaitsesi eschem mitachas sivlois mitzrayim. What's Sivilois Mitzrayim? I'll take you out from Sivilois. So he says, Sivilois is from the word Lisbol. I will liberate you from tolerating Egypt. I will liberate you from Savlanut. Savlanut means patience, tolerance. Tisbol, Tisbol is there, right? Mitacha Sivilois. The problem is not Egypt. The problem is that you tolerate Egypt. You toler- the problem is not abuse. The problem is you tolerate it. The problem is not that you have voices in your soul that drive you crazy. The problem is that you tolerate them. You make peace with them. Rupin Cheskaritzer was a Talmud of the Baal Shem Tev. He once said, if you learned Cheska Sabbat in the third Pedic of Abbasri, you know the main theme is that for three years you have a right to make a macha. If you're living, if I have a squatter living in my house and I have no deed... So halachically, I have three years to voice a protest. If I voice a protest within three years, I'm good. I could reclaim the house later. If not, why didn't you make a machal? So the Pinchas of Karit said, what's Pshat in Avodah Hashem? Avodah Hashem, he says, sometimes you have a squatter who takes over your whole life. In you, takes over your whole life. He says, all you have to do is make a machal. At least make a machal. If you make a macha, then we know you're the balabas. If you don't even make a macha, make a macha doesn't mean you chase him out. You can't chase him out. He's a bully. The guy in you is a bully. But at least make a macha. Say, this, you're not my, you're not the balabas. I'm the balabas. That's enough. Allah is the pinchas karitz. Says that's enough. That's enough. I'm not asking you to chase him out. I'm not asking you to take him to court. I'm not asking you to come with an axe and expel him from there. At least tell somebody, make a macha, make a protest. Because that's already an awareness, an awareness. So now, when it comes to a person's life, this is a question. How many things do you do every day that are based on a distortion of truth? Your own truth and the truth of the people around you. How many how many things that do you say during the day that the only reason you're saying them and you believe them and there's legitimacy to the words are based on a distortion of truth, meaning how you perceive yourself in a distorted way, or you perceive your wife or your kids or the people near you. How many thoughts do you have a day that are only reason that they're legitimate in your mind, you operate that way, you think about this, is because of distortions? How many? And how deep is the distortion? And how heavy is the distortion? Think about this. Because if you get control of this, you get control of a lot. <laughs> That's why you were so reluctant to tell the woman in Montreal or wherever it was that you always slept. Yes. Yes. Yeah. If I would have told her that... No, I told her I overslept. No, I was reluctant to say that my great-great-grandmother had a funeral. Or that there were three suicides in my building and I had to attend to because Atsala said there was an emergency, of course. So I actually become a hero in the process too. You know, not only you lie, you become a hero in the process. It's always good, right? I think Oscar Wilde said the best feeling in life is you do something anonymously and then everybody finds out. 
It's always good. You know, you lie and you become a hero. Why not? But it's really the same thing. The need to become a hero is the same reason we need to lie. The same thing. I hate myself. I have to become a hero. That's why people watch movies, they read novels, and they'll cry for hours and hours. They live vicariously through other people's lives. We love living through heroes. We love living through other people's dramatic lives. There's people who imagine their own funerals, and they start crying. They imagine their children being orphans. They imagine all types of things to make themselves feel better about themselves. It's all the base, the same deal. I have a distorted sense of self, and I need to make up for it. I'm basically feeding into distortion. I cannot embrace truth. Now, the fact, the paradox is, if you embrace truth, actually, you're good to go. You're in a very good state. Good if, meaning that you don't belong here you're part of the ain't safe. You're good. You're wonderful. You're wholesome. You're absolutely beautiful. You're extraordinary. You don't need a lie. You don't need to become a hero. You could make mistakes. You could say, "I'm sorry." You can have real relationships. So. Before you speak to somebody, before you say something, even before you, you, you take anger. Anybody here gets angry ever in the house? Not nobody. Okay. I almost did one time. You almost got angry once. A guy once told his wife. He says, "You know, I never make mistakes." She says, "Never." He says, "Oh yeah, once I did it back in 1962. I thought I made a mistake. That was his mistake." So, why can't a person make mistakes? It's all the same thing. I have to always ask myself. What of my self-image is real? What is a clip? And what am I doing? And what I'm doing right now, which part is it feeding? And which part is it coming from? And which part is motivating and fueling this type of behavior, this type of relationship? Much of anger or much of the need to control people, right? Or uh, a lot of times when we uh, become alienated from people, what happened often is we are only in touch with our clipper. And because we're in touch with our clipper, so therefore, something they said destroys us to our core. Because we don't have a core, we have a shell. It destroys the shell, and the shell goes crazy, so we have to fight back. And in fighting back, we feel that we gained ground. But what about if you could actually really embrace your wholesome self behind the clipper, or beyond the clipper, and operate from that space, you'll see that a lot of thoughts, a lot of words, and a lot of actions will ultimately be very, very different. But for this, you have to sometimes rediscover yourself in a way that you never did, because sometimes my whole life I never learned about a self that's not distorted. I don't even know that there's such a concept. Some people, I would argue have such distorted sense of selves that they don't even know there's a possibility that they're wrong. In other words, the Hester is Behester. The concealment is concealed. I don't even imagine that there could be something else. I don't even imagine anything. That's most people. Most people? Yeah. You speak from experience of talking to most people? I mean, I don't know most about most people. Most people that I've met. And, and, and I'm, I, I would say that I'm quite average. Very <laughs> 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 okay. You don't feel that you love then, Hashem. Then, but then you say, you do. So when you say, I love this person, and you don't really feel it, and then you might question it, 
But the emphasis, it's a true. Sometimes, sometimes it's about very simple things. If I say something and I don't feel it, and I don't acknowledge, and I don't really believe it, I have to be able to tell that to myself. I can't repress it, because if I will, it will haunt me. Now, this doesn't mean I have to worship every emotion. You don't have to worship every emotion, but you have to be able to identify an emotion and not lie about it. Because if I do, I just become a uh, very dishonest person. Yeah, a person is struggling with God. They should talk to God about the fact that they're struggling. It's probably you'll be the best relationship you'll ever have with God. People who speak to God honestly about what they feel about Him usually have the best relationship with Him. If you cannot tell a best friend what you really feel about them, there's no friendship here. There's no relationship. If you always show up in your marriage perfect, if you're always in a perfect mood around your wife, then either you're not normal, right? Or some other things I'm not going to get into. What, 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 you're never in a bad mood? I mean, you, women usually know when their husbands are in bad moods, but the men go crazy when they point it out, right? You look stressed. Me? No, no, no. And then like for three hours you're like... Can't talk to you. Me, I'm not stressed. Why can't you say you're stressed? Why can't you say you're in a miserable mood? What's going to happen? Because you're not going to be macho. You're not going to be masculine. Who created this idea that you're not going to be stressed? This is another clap of clipper. Again, we create certain images, and we have to live into those images. And if somebody challenges them, we go mad. But what happens if you can actually say, you know what? I'm going to embrace truth. And when you understand who you really, really, really are, the way he describes it here, then you're never afraid. We spoke, you're never afraid of vulnerability because it's not going to destroy you. If my perfection comes from the fact that I'm something that I'm not really, it means I'm more wounded than I can ever imagine. Imagine, Understand this. If my sense of self-perfection comes from something that's not true, it means I am deeply so wounded and my self-perception is the worst that it can be. And yet I will fight for it till the end because if I give it up, there'll be nothing left to me. Nothing left. Mamish, nothing left. But if your self-perception could come from a place that's a little deeper than Klippa and you could make some peace with it, right? Then the fact that I have flaws and I have struggles is fine. It won't destroy me because I'm not creating an image based on the fact that I'm perfect. When I'm not, I'm creating an image based on who I really am. So if I really have nothing inside, mamish, I'm taka, pusten, shtik, nochash, sheretz, shaygetz, bahaymechaya, whatever, all the good words, mushchis, metuiv, low life, or whatever I was told, or I thought I was told. So then, sometimes I have no choice but to compensate. And that's what I do. That's what I do. Somebody told me, one psychiatrist told me about the narcissism. Narcissism is a very serious issue. People who have narcissistic personality disorder. It's a very difficult thing to live. Anybody's familiar with it? It's very difficult to live with. Narcissists are like, you know, they say you want to drown a narcissist, you put the mirrors on the bottom of the ocean. It's, it's a very difficult, difficult challenge. And uh, so I happened to know somebody, I was dealing with a situation... So somebody who understood souls very deeply, he said, by him it's, a, it's the exact opposite. It's Mamre's the exact opposite. He's very, very sensitive. He's so sensitive. And he lets people in in the deepest way. And when he was a child, he was badly hurt from it. 
So subconsciously, he made a conviction that he will never, ever, ever trust not only anybody, he won't even trust that anybody else exists because he can't deal with it. So it was a fascinating idea how somebody's distortion could be so profound, but it was also a very healing idea because that means that what you need in order to heal is not not, uh, denigrate yourself, but actually come back to your primary goodness to your primal goodness, to your what he calls here the ain't serve, the bittle. And when a person comes to that place, then they could be much more vulnerable because you won't melt. You won't melt into oblivion. Vashti will melt if there's no clothes. She will hold on to the clothes. You won't. On the contrary, it will set you free. It will set you free. It even has to do with people, for example, in their own children. Your child tells you something, and it triggers very deep anger in you, or resentment in you, right? Think about it, and ask yourself one question. This anger that it triggered in you, is it based on a you that is a clip of you, or a real you? Is it based on a you that you built up in your mind, this is who I am as a father, and this is who my child has to see me as? And when he pokes that, you go crazy. Or maybe that itself is a distortion, and if you could reclaim a deeper you, you'll actually be able to respond with much more composure, much more love, and a much more wholesome response that will actually help him and help your relationship. This is never about somebody else. It's about me. It's always about me. What I'm responding to based on my self-perception. And therefore, based on what was now done to me. By virtue of what my wife said, my child said, my friend said, my boss said, my partner said, my, my community member said, my rabbi said, and so forth. You said something to me, or you did something to me, or you looked at me a certain way, and it shook up my world. What is this world that it shook up? Ask yourself, how real is that world? How real should it be? Why is it so real in me? Now it may be there for the rest of my life, but if I can at least identify it and quarantine it, then the Hester is not the Hester. Then at least the Clipper has some light shining. And remember that ghosts, demons, and skeletons love darkness. <laughs> they hate light. Whenever you shine light, Clipper hates light. You know why? Because when you shine a flashlight, especially the light of the sun, you know what happens? It disappears. It will fight for darkness. It hates scrutiny. It hates exposure. It hates conversation. That's why some people, you start talking about something, they will do anything to avoid it. Anything. They'll do anything to avoid it because when you start shining light on certain things, oh my God. Kedusha loves light. That's why you will never see here the word Ein Saif Baruch without the word Oir. Why Oir? Because Kedusha Ein Saif loves light. Because, on the contrary, it's all about revelation. Not that everything is always revealed. Things sometimes can't be revealed. But Oir is by definition its mission statement. Share, give, look. I want to look and I want you to see. The Gemara says in Chagiga, Kishem Shabal Lirois, Kachba. Light, it's about oil. It doesn't run away from oil. On the contrary, it celebrates light. Why does it celebrate light? Because it won't, it won't disappear. On the contrary, 
Why won't it disappear? Because its existence is essential. Its existence is not circumstantial. Its existence is not here to avoid something else. Guilt. Why do people feel guilty? Because they really want to fix a situation or because they're trying to cover up pain. Klippa is always here to substitute reality with another reality. I don't want you to see the reality. I want to cover it up with another reality. So therefore, I create a second reality instead of the first one, and I dress it up. It should look good. In Kedush, it's the other way around. It will always be associated with Ur. You could look at it. You could see it. Nothing is being hidden. So for example, people, what do they say about Jews? A Jew, if he doesn't feel guilty, he blames himself. Many, right? I have my self perception is based on my thoughts about myself. I want to be a kind person, I want to be a good person. I see myself in this way. That, that, that's Explain why. It's my perspective. My, my perspective, how I see myself. There's also a distortion, even, even if it's positive. You know, I'm, I'm good because I see myself as a good person. I'm good because I have all these positive thoughts. I, I had a beautiful upbringing. I didn't, I didn't grow up in trauma. I had a, a mother who told me I was a very special person. So now I grew up thinking I'm a special person and it's good and I'm kind to people. Because of that self-perception. That's another I, form I, of clip. I could also be living in clip. Of course. It's a different type, I would say. You know, it's nice. It doesn't bother people, but right? It's, but it's still not living with you. It's living. I accept myself based on my thoughts that I'm a positive person, and I tell that to myself. I legitimize myself in my thoughts. I'm a good guy. I'm relaxed. I'm happy. And you energize yourself, like and me. you and you promote yourself right. through that narrative, which it's a narrative. I, I don't see anything wrong with it. He's saying, "Listen, I'm going to get up early to learn." And then, and then I'll be a good Jew, and I'll be good to my kids, and and, and after 120, we'll uh, we'll tally it up. It's what the idol. What is wrong? The word's click with there. It stands up. So why do you feel that it should be challenged in any way? What are the ramifications <laughs> of it? What are the practical ramifications? I guess that's my question. I'll tell you what it is. It's very hard to have a real deep relationship with that person. It's very hard. It's a good guy. Maybe doesn't harm a fly, but it's very hard to have a real relationship with that person. It's very hard for that person to have a real relationship with themselves. It's very hard for that person to have a real relationship with God. They can't let go. They need... Huh? You shouldn't tell your kids you're great. You should feel and experience that your kids are great. Much more important. Much more important than saying to your kids they're great. You should experience the greatness of your children. It's far more important, trust me. 
I mean, we I know in America today, especially today, there's a mitzvah to say, I love you around 1.1 thousand times a day and kiss them 650 times to make up for all the kisses that you're still waiting from your father to get. Because he still didn't kiss you once, maybe five minutes before he died, he said something positive to you. And even then not. So we overcompensate. So we don't stop kissing, we don't stop hugging. The kid says, leave me alone. No, 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 I'm going to kiss you. Every time my mother, you're not kissing your child. You're trying to feel the kiss that your mother was supposed to give you. So you're not even tuning into your child so much. No, we don't want that. Listen, it's, it's better than abuse. Take the stick and take out the belt, you know, like some of us got better. If it's a choice between a kiss and this, do the kiss. But I'm just saying more important than the kiss is about the pneumonies. The genuine appreciation, the genuine connection. But if I'm always thinking, I'm thinking, I'm legitimizing myself, so then I'm still in a mode of, of, of deep distortion. I happen to have good conclusions, but I'm still obsessive. This person has negative thoughts and this person has positive thoughts. Okay, you were zeichet to have a father who didn't uh, schmeiss you too much and didn't tell you that, he, that, you're, that you're, you're a klutz and a glump and an idiot and a shaitan, a disappointment to the family and a shame to Klal Yisrael. Mm-hmm. And then you had a father who Baruch Hashem said all these nice things to be able to uh, ultimately elevate you and to allow you to appreciate the Torah a little more. So you could thank him also. Sometimes difficult experience allows you to experience people had mysterious nefesh to understand these concepts. So maybe this was your mysterious nefesh. Look at it that way. If you can help. I mean, with I say this with empathy, but sometimes... Uh, you need pain to understand the truth. But it's all in the same mode. LMI, mine is positive, yours is negative, but it's really we're both obsessing. We're both, I'm saying I'm good, and you're saying I'm bad. We're both busy doing the same thing. We're trying to justify our existence. That's what we So I justify myself by saying, look at me. I'm slim. I go to the gym every day. I don't mean me. I mean that person. <laughs> me too, but also that person. <laughs> I'm great, I'm this, I even make a couple of dollars, look at my house, look at this. We're busy showing off to ourselves, ourselves. And this person is basically saying, I'm a loser, I'm a loser, nothing is right, but it's the same mode. We're both busy telling ourselves stories to justify ourselves. So it's like this shell that we're in, trying to do that, and it's both because there's no real self-acceptance from comes from the fact that you can actually let go. And failure. There's no better description of the tragedy. Okay, I think enough for today, no? I have to figure out how would I feel at the end of a sheet if you wouldn't applaud me every day. I want to make sure if it's about him, not about me. Ad Morgan is a kofa base. Everything is a right. Okay, my wife does drive. And if you know my wife, she's a very... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know how to break it to you, but... Uh... <laughs> boy meeting, boy meeting. <laughs>
I don't know if you can continue coming to the Shia. But, 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 but there, there, are cultural, there are cultural values in different communities that they develop. To call it the fundamental core of Judaism, I think, is ludicrous. Is there a value for that community? Perhaps it's a value. I'm not in that community. I'm not going to judge it at the moment. I'll have my opinions, but I'm not going to judge it at the moment. Okay? But you have to see if it's making everybody's life miserable. There's always option two. If it's something that somehow can work, you probably deal with this all day, no? Don't you do this for a living? <laughs> Why am I giving this advice? I don't get paid for this. What if somebody says fitting in and being accepted is a value? He learns a lot of Gemara, huh? I've heard people say this. Fitting in is a value. Comfort zone. I feel like I don't fit in and I want to fit in. But I think if the only way I fit in is by being accepted, I will never fit in. Because it's endless. It's a bottomless pit. I'm basically living in a shell. I'm basically, this is the clipper that we're talking about. It's a bottomless pit. It's like a person who says, I need your compliments every hour of the day in order for me to feel good. Now, as long as I get it, it's great. But what happens when I don't get a compliment that day? I'm dead. I'm done. A lot of people, they define their self-value based on the compliments they're getting. Right? Somebody once told me that his image of himself changes 50 times within the first hour of the day. Why? At home, his wife compliments him. Oh, you look so good. Very nice. Have a good day. Then he lives in Brooklyn. He gets into the car, and usually there's a trucker that... uh, that tries to cut you off, and he opens the window, and he curses you and your mother and your grandmother, yeah? so now his self-image is horrible. Okay. Then he goes into the bank, and somebody tells him something nice about himself. Oh, I hear that. Oh, now I feel good. Then he goes out of the bank, he meets somebody else. Why didn't you pay that? Now he feels horrible. Then he gets to the city of Manhattan, and over there, it really gets tough on the road, and people tell you exactly what they think of you. Right? So he says, within an hour, he has 50 opposite images of himself, because he doesn't need... It's a bottomless pit. It's literally a bottomless pit that never ends. So I think if somebody, uh, the fact that we want to be accepted is, is, we all want to be accepted, and we all love, most of us, very few people I know, compliments mean nothing. I mean, I've met uh, one or two people that uh, with mamish like my level I married, their self-identity is completely like unfazed. It's not easy to find a person that. Mamish, it's it's keloi hoyet. It's completely no chilik. It's a very very rare quality. You can't be a genuine leader if you don't have that quality. If if if, it's, if it has any tefisas mokim, it's the greatest shaychud in the world, right? So we all have that, but I think a person has to be able to identify how essential that is to our functional, our functioning. And yeah, the mezitcha market, the mezitcha market, yeah. You know the vote from the market. So half of the kavod. The Mishnah says in Berakah Yavis, "Yehi chovet chaverche chavev alecha kishalach." The kavod of your friend should be as valuable to you. You should cherish it like your own kavod. So literally, it means you should treat people with the respect that you would want for yourself. The Magid asks Halachayin in Berakah Yavis. It says, "Hakina v'hatayva v'hakavod moitzinas adam enayla." The Gemara says in Baba Kama Daf Lamed that. Meaning that Pirkei is milsa the It's 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 the extra mile. It's 
it's a form of piety, of piety. It's Midas Chasidus. So he says in Pirkei Yavis, you would say that your covet should not be so negea to you. It's not the Yikoyt Chavecha Chavecha Valacha Kishalach. Mazut Magid says Pshat in the Mishnah, Yihich Voit Chavecha, the covet that your friend gives you, Chavecha it should be as valuable to you, Kishalach, like the covet you give yourself. What does this mean? So I'll give a, I gave a, a simple illustration. Let's say I'm invited to give a speech. Me, I'll just give you from my own life, but everyone can give from your life. And the person who introduces me doesn't give a good introduction, which happens more often than not. Either a Chinik who says stupid things, whatever. The best introduction I ever got was a person, uh, I have a tape series on Tanya, it's called A Tale of Two Souls. So I was in Philadelphia, so somebody said, we have here the author of A Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> and they thought that Dickens came to Tchisamesim and everybody turned around to see who, who resurrected Charles Dickens so when I got up I said I've gotten compliments in my life but such a compliment uh, I haven't got okay. but the MC is not always uh, whatever, fine so already the speech starts off on a sour note because when there's a good introduction you know, it, it, feeds, uh, it feeds the shark right and then half of the oilam is sleeping in the middle. And then the other half of the oilam is texting, which is the minik, uh, minik bayidin. And then the, this one leaves, that one leaves. So the whole oilam is... Uh, and then at the end I finish and nobody... And all they say is Yishikayach, which is always a deadly, a deadly Jewish response. Yishikayach, 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 Yishikayach. So I'm upset. I don't feel good. So I come home. I said, you know, I'm going to do it over. I'll give myself an introduction. And then I'll give the speech again. And then I'll give myself a standing ovation, not for a minute, for ten minutes, which is unheard of. Even Trump doesn't get that. But he maybe does this when he comes home. I'll give myself a standing ovation for ten minutes, right? And then I'll feel good. So everybody understands that it's not going to make me feel good. And I'll also understand it. Why not? Why not? The answer is because the cover that you give yourself is valueless. It doesn't mean anything. The people standing ovation could mean something. My own, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't add. It doesn't create anything substantial in me. It doesn't create new, uh, new uh, neurons, new waves, new awareness, a new consciousness. There's all be diot before the standing ovation. Is the diot after the standing ovation? So the Maggid says, the cover that other people give you, it has exactly the same value. That's the truth. It has exactly the same value. It really adds nothing to you. And therefore, criticism also doesn't take anything away from you. If it's legitimate, if they're telling you something legitimate, listen to it. You'll grow from it. If they're destroying you, it it doesn't... If a compliment creates you, criticism breaks you. People who desperately need compliments, when they hear criticism, they're dead. They're finished. Especially a wife criticizes you, who they can't function, they can't live. Because their entire self-identity is completely subjected to the accolades of other people. And then it doesn't end. What you, when, do, when do you have menuchas anefesh? And then the moment you don't get what you need, you're just desperately craving and yearning it. This is all, all examples of a person living behind a shell. Vos is behind a shell, completely completely not in touch with their own reality. Yeah. The experiment. Just now, no? By Benisha Benach. Yeah. So let's say that the 
does that differ from reframing an event in myself? So the crowd didn't give me the accolades that I needed. So I go and I, and I reframe the event so it's a positive experience, a building experience, instead of a toxic experience. Yeah. So, but you want it's different. so there's another psychological response, and that is you come home and you hate them. You hate them. You tell yourself they're, they're, they're stupid, they're idiots, they're mo- which is also the same form. Because I didn't get what I needed from them, so therefore I turned them into my enemies. So it's also the same point. Again. But that's, the, that's dysfunctional. Exactly, exactly. The hate doesn't bring you up. Of course, it doesn't bring you up at all. It's just a defense mechanism, because you're hurting so badly, so you turn them into the enemy. Always. But it's because I so desperately need it, and you disappointed me, so you become the monster. It's not covered. I'm giving myself. Yes, it's it's not even. Yeah, reframing that's something else. Maybe the disappointment was also dysfunctional. Then you didn't have the confidence in yourself. Of course. Hey, I gave a good speech. These guys, you know, they're not familiar with the concepts or whatever. It's different. Or maybe I didn't know who I was talking to. Yeah. Or maybe I didn't. I wasn't informed. Or maybe I have to appear differently. It's a learning. It's a learning curve. Well, you go to strange communities or different communities, yeah. and you, you yeah. never heard yeah. somebody's concept. The first Shabbaton I ever did was in a community near Chicago. Sunday morning, the president of the community, who was a very wealthy Jew, sits me down in shul in front of the rabbi, and he says, I want to tell you that you were a disaster. That's how he opened up the conversation. You were an absolute disaster. And he says, a few weeks ago we had somebody else, and he told me he was a success. And you were a disaster, so you don't have to compare. The rabbi felt bad for me, so he calls me aside, he says, as Abyssal Meshuggah. So the guy says, Nein, ich bin nicht Meshuggah. I'm saying the truth. Rabbi, don't silence me. For 25 minutes, he was telling me what was wrong. It was not comfortable. It was very, very uncomfortable. Extremely. He finishes. He says, and by the way, this was your best Shabbaton ever. So now I thought that Mamish Taik Meshuggah. So I'll tell you why. Because from this one, you will learn the most. From this one, you will learn the most. From other ones, when you'll get compliments, you won't learn anything. On the contrary, you'll feel good. This Shabbaton will turn into your most successful one because it was an educational experience for you. And that was it. That's what he said. <laughs> so when you turn a mistake into an educational experience, it's not a mistake. On the contrary, it oh, became so an education. Who huh? made him a king over you? Okay. So then I have to go into myself and ask if his words had value or not. It happened to be he was he was dramatic, but he he said some valuable ideas. I think. Thank you for the thank you for the compliment. I see you're a nurturer. You're a nurturer. Thank you. What do you want to say? Nothing. Okay. Now for those who don't wear yarmulkes. Those who don't wear yarmulkes. Yeah, a lot of people will still look. They won't look down on the people they don't, don't wear yarmulkes. They will still value the people. At the same time, they will still think that it's a Hasuna Yiddish. That's correct. Well, listen. Today we live in a world where lepoil it became a certain simon, yeah, of a certain Yiddish stolz. You can't deny that, right? But it's not exactly the same like wearing a hat by Dalvin. You still have to make distinction. That's it. So it's 
Wearing Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin is a hiddur, right? But there's Jews who don't wear Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. We all know that, right? There's people here who don't wear Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. They're Mekayim Mitzvah's tefillin. They don't wear Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. Does it say in Halacha that a Yeshamayim should put on Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin? Yeah. That's why by the Chassidim they put on Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin. But there are people who don't. So you have to be sensitive to that and aware of that. Is there a value putting on Rabbeinu Tam's tefillin? There is. But it's, it's the same thing. A yarmulke or a hat is the same thing. No, a hat, I mean an extra yarmulke by davening. Lepoil, the minig bisral in all communities is by davening you wear a yarmulke. You mech kisurot. Yarmulke all day. Somebody that wears a yarmulke that doesn't wear a yarmulke all day and somebody that doesn't go with a hat by davening is the same thing. Right? Like the, it's the same. Like it's the same. I don't think you can compare. No, 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 you can't compare. Oh, so why Kisurot by davening right. is... is, is no. I, I don't think it's the same. I don't see the same. I don't see the same. So why is it not the same? Why it's not the same? Because wearing a second makif by davening is a chumri yaseira. It's a very beautiful chumra, but it's a chumri yaseira. Wearing a yamaka by davening is much more uh, rooted in sources. Sometimes you go into places that they believe that wearing a hat but davening is the same idea that wearing a yamaka all day. Okay. So they believe so. So let them read the sources and they'll see that it's not mamish to say. Just like eating the brook on Pesach is not eating pizza on Pesach. It's not. <laughs> and not putting on a bin of Tom's is not truck. You didn't put on tefillin. And not going to the mikvah on Shabbos doesn't mean you're not Jewish. It's not. Is it a gewaldic to go to the mikveh? Yeah. But uh, people don't go to the mikveh. Especially here, it's 120 degrees. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of a story I think has a message. It was in Bab Shirali, it was at the wedding in Brooklyn. And leaving the Hasanet, Another couple came up to him, and the husband asked if they could get a ride with him. They came from a different Hasidish group. So when they walked to the car, this uh, guest here, the, the passenger, he motioned that the Rav's wife should move to the back seat. <laughs> and so this Rav said to him, you know, the Bhakti Rabbi didn't drive, his wife drove. So is it good enough for my Rabbi to sit together in the front seat if you want the ride? Right. But I think that this Chabad rabbi was right. You you want I should give you a lift. I want to sit with my wife. If you don't want, you don't have to take a you can get a, you can take a taxi. I mean it's not like it was Pikuach Nefesh that he had to sit, right? So that's the, that's the concept. A Satme Yi told me an interesting thing. The Satme Rebbe came to Chicago. The Divriyaya. He came to Chicago. There was a Lubavitcher show there called Bnei Ruv, and it's still there. The Rav was Rebbe Shusterman. Uh, Shusterman from his father, right? The Tzvi Shusterman. Before that was a Yidra by Hecht, Rebbe Shlomo Zalman Hecht. So the Satmirov wanted to give a drusha. This is the early years. So he sent his gabai, and the gabai told the rabbi that uh, he went back to the rabbi and he said, I don't think you can speak here because the mechitza is not uh, tall enough for your standards. 
So the Satmarov asked the Chabatsky Rav if he minds if he could elevate the Mechitza for his drasha. He said, Mishum oi finished. So he said, why, what do you care? He says that the Rebbe Rayatz, the Lubavitch Rebbe, was here. And he spoke. So if he spoke here, he's not going to make the Mechitza different to make believe that for him it wasn't kosher enough, for you it was kosher enough. Satmirov looked at his gabi he says, And he went to speak there. <laughs> he liked it. He's not going to do it and make believe that by him it wasn't kosher enough. <laughs> you understand? So he understood that. The Satmirov understood this. He understood this. And he had a respect for it. Doesn't mean he wouldn't want to tell him a chitza. Maybe he would want to tell him a chitza. But he appreciated that. People have to appreciate this. This, this. There's a certain richness to the story. Doesn't mean in his circles he wouldn't do something else. But he understood this diversity. The Chidushi Arim, not the, the Imre Emes, had an Aden. You ever heard of Bitzak Meilavin? And Aguda, he was very big. He once, he was a big Askin. He was a big Askin. He once sent him to Berlin for a Shabbos. Now, in Ged, I don't have to tell you, the men and the women don't sit at a Shabbos table, right, together. They don't walk together. They're very strict with this. In Berlin, you can understand, the matzah was different. He was a frumayid, but the women were at the table, like in America, everybody's schmoozing together. So Richard Mayer Levine was uh, very taken aback. He felt that this is not, uh, this is not Jewish. Everybody goes to sleep, and he also goes to sleep Friday night. And he hears that the, the balabas, the host, takes out a chumash, he reads through the whole parsha with Erechayim. And then he says the whole tillim. The whole tillim by the table Friday night. And he was amazed. A few minutes ago, he was socializing with the damen. You know what damen are? With the damen, with the women. <laughs> and now he's saying the whole tillim Friday night, late at night. So he came back to the Imre Amos, And he said, this paradox here. The smeal was Mamash Kedere Chagoyim. The German Jews were German Jews. They were very different. I'm talking about the Frum German Jews. I'm not talking about the Reform. I'm talking about the Erlich Yidin in Germany. Rabbi Shimshon her school was very different than Polish Echsidim. The Oist Yidin. It wasn't like the Oist Yidin, yeah? So the Imre Emes told him, Rabbi Shemeyer, you're going into Askonus Haklau. You're going into public activism. That's why I sent you to Berlin. You have to realize this stuff. You have to realize there's different ways of people fearing God. Not everybody does the same thing. If not, you won't be able to be an Askin. You'll be able to be for your little group. You won't be able to have bird's eye view of what the Jewish people need. I have, you have to see that there's different ways people function, people operate. That's it. We have to understand that. You have to respect it. It doesn't, and it doesn't threaten you. It doesn't threaten if you have a minute. It doesn't threaten if you have a nusach. Just like there's different nuschayos. The Gemara says nara naro pashte. There's different rivers. I think it's a chisarim when people grow up and uh, you know it's my way or the highway. And if it's not my nusach and my rosh hashiva and my rebbe and my culture, it's 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 deadly. It's it's heresy. Why? Why is it heresy? Bechlal. I told somebody, somebody said about somebody, he's an apikoiris. I said, to use the word apikoiris on a Jew, you need a Sanhedrin, you need a Bezdin, you need Chikiris, you need a Bdikis. 
How is it became so lightly to use the word koifer on somebody? The Rambam gives Gedarim what a koifer is. What a, because he disagrees with something that they agree in your kehillah, therefore he's a koifer. A guy told me he disagreed with something about an Erev in a particular community, became Apikorsis. Since when does a Machlaikas and Erev have to do with Kfir and Apikorsis? The Rambam in Hilchas Truva defines what an Apikorsis is, what a Min is, what a Kaifer is. The word is thrown lightly, it comes from ignorance. Heresy is a very serious accusation. Not everybody is a heretic. Most people are not. Even if a person is making a mistake, we throw around the term with such ignorance, with such pompous arrogance by people who are not really educated in this. Why? Because they disagree with my culture. doesn't make sense. Okay, so let's get back to Clipper, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> let's get back to Clipper. So I think, Taken, this title of the Magad of Mizrich illustrates in a very profound way this whole point. Because, why is it that I desperately need compliments? Is there anybody here who desperately needs compliments? Yeah? Rabbi Yoeli, what do you do when you have a performance and you don't get even one compliment? What do you do? I once asked a comedian, I once was at a place and I asked a very big comedian. You see, when a speaker does a lousy job, is nishta zayyifarach. A singer is worse. A comedian is the worst. When nobody laughs at the jokes, it's mamish bushes v'charkis. You know what I mean? A speech, fine, it was boring. People fell asleep right there. Most speeches are boring. Singing, okay, a lot of singers don't know what they do. Present company excluded. But, uh, you know, there's, there's a kvitchen it's called. But uh, but a comedian, it's his whole raison d'etre is gone, right? So I once asked a comedian... What do you do afterwards? The, 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 what do you do with the feeling, the emptiness? So he said, as I, he said, Rabbi Jacobs, uh, I think to myself, just because I failed on stage, does it mean I should fail off stage too? On stage I failed. I stepped down from the stage. I'm not going to fail off stage. That was, that was a good answer. It was a good answer. But he understood something about life. And he did not confuse performance with value. Let's say my performance is horrible. Does that negate my inner value? Okay, so that's that means living in a world of clipper. That means I'm living completely in a shell. Completely. I'm not in touch with my inner value, my inner true self. And therefore, I have to create a new reality for myself. And that reality is called performance. A woman I once met in a spiritual seminar told me that she suffers terribly. Her mother wanted always a blonde girl, a blonde daughter. And she wasn't. So her mother would dye her hair and would say, I love you because you're blonde. She grew up. And one day she discovered the horror that she's not. Which of course meant that she also lost the affection of her mother. Until today, probably 30, 40 years later, she's dealing with this every day, every moment of the day. Because her mother did not stop saying it. Now, But this happens to many of us, not with blonde hair maybe, but different ways. Including spiritual and religious ways. Performance becomes a substitute for value. 
it becomes your value. So now I'm on stage, I do my thing, I, I failed. I failed. Somebody, somebody doesn't compliment or somebody criticizes, or many people criticize. What happens now? What do I go home with? So there's two, there's two different approaches, emotional approaches. One is, for three days, I don't stop thinking about it. You relate? You go home and I'm replaying. What did I do wrong? What did I do wrong? Why? I'm never doing this again in my whole life. I'm becoming a mechanic. <laughs> it's like obsessive thoughts of self-doubts, uncertainty, inner confusion, tension. Replaying it like an obsessive... You remember the br- scratched record player, the broken record player, or the scratched CD again and again and again and again and again, until the next success. <laughs> until the next success. And then you have Pavarotti's approach. They once asked Pavarotti after a horrible opera presentation, how did it feel? He said, I cried all the way till the bank. <laughs> till I deposited the check, he cried. Oh, what does this mean? It doesn't mean a person shouldn't appreciate a compliment. And a person shouldn't learn from criticism. It means, do you have a core self? If you have a core self, which according to the Balatanya, the core self is actually divine. So it's, in, it's invincible. It's indestructible. A compliment doesn't make it. And criticism doesn't destroy it. Should I learn from criticism? Of course, if I want to grow, I should learn from criticism. Is it geschmack? It's never geschmack. We're human. We have all that ego. When you're really, really one with yourself, it's not typhus market. It's not typhus market. I want to tell you an image I saw once. It has a lot in it. Okay. Lubavitch Rebbe was maybe 88 or 89 years old. Nishkin, as they say, Nishkin Kind. He was giving dollars one Sunday. A yid came. He was a man who died young. He was a Rav, actually, in Florida. I knew him. He was in his 30s when he passed away, and this was a few years before. He was a Chabadnik, and the Rebbe helped him a lot in terms of advice. He was born, so he had a lot of illness. The Rebbe helped him a lot, so he had a certain closeness. But he was very, it, it seems to me, when I think about it later, that he was probably pretty sick at the time. So he's walking in line, and he comes up to the Rebbe. And on the way, already, as he comes close, he looks at the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he starts going like this. You know, like you do to a, you know, this, when the, like you do to a child, that's what he's making like this. Frankly, it was very, it was quite disrespectful. First of all, as a person who was older than him, and it was also the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and he was a Lubavitcher, he wasn't a, you know, he was, he was officially a chassid, but he's going like, he was open, he was going like this. So the secretaries around were like a little uh, this, but no, people didn't mix it. He comes close, and he's still like this. And he's like, I'm very, very disappointed in you. In English. He didn't say why. My assumption is, I don't know this, my assumption is, probably the illness was accelerating, and he felt that the Rebbe should have helped him more. Perhaps, I don't know that. That could be something else. And he felt disappointed by the Rebbe's lack of, of saving his life or whatever. And I wondered how the Rebbe is going to respond. How, how do you respond to this? What's the response? Without, it's not, it's not even what he responded, it was the, the naturalness. Without skipping a heart's beat, without blinking almost, as he goes and he says, I'm very disappointed in you. 
the Rebbe looks him straight in the eyes and he says, it makes two of us. I'm very disappointed in myself too. And that was it. And that was it. <laughs> and he just moved on. With complete serenity, with a lot of sincerity, sincerity, I'm very disappointed in myself too. That was the end of the conversation. I don't know, he gave him a brach, whatever, I don't know, if there, I don't remember if there was more. So here, you have a situation, right? So sometimes you have a person who gets very self-conscious. Sometimes you have a person who gets self-conscious, but they know how to isolate the self-conscious and respond from another place. And sometimes you have a person who's completely one with themselves, they don't even get self-conscious. But somebody who lives in that mode of self-consciousness, then they're not, there's no self. This, but myself is always dependent on you. It's basically, I'm waiting for you to tell me who I am. A guy once wrote a postcard to a therapist. He was in the Bahamas on vacation. So he writes a postcard to his therapist. He says, I'm here in the Bahamas. I'm having a great time. I wish you were here to tell me why. <laughs> so basically, I'm waiting for you to tell me how I'm doing. I don't know how I'm doing. Tell me. If you're going to give me a compliment, I'm doing fine. If you're going to give me criticism, I'm done. So somebody who operates in that space, Mamash has no core. Now, some of us, we always operate in that space, and it's a pathetic and very sad way of living. So that's what the Maggot says. And I'll tell you where it really translates itself in a pretty, uh, I think, in, in a recognizable way, in marriages and in educating children. I'll tell you what. A guy comes home from work, okay, and uh, he desperately needs his wife to compliment him. Now, some women do that. The moment the husband comes home, she's like, wow, my hero. The man who works so hard for the family. But by the way, you didn't have to rush home. You could have stayed another few hours, do what you had to do. But how I appreciate you is unbelievable. Okay. Now the truth is when you do that to men, it's wise. Because after that, you can ask him to do anything. You can ask him to mop for nine and a half hours, and he'll do it like a tatala. But let's face it, not every woman does that when the husband comes home. Very often the woman complains. Because the day was hard. He's waiting for a compliment because he desperately needs it. So what happens now? Often he shuts down. He doesn't feel like a man. He can't feel like a man. Why? Because he always has to take and take and take. You see, when I need that, what you said, the person always has to fit in, what does it really mean? It means I could never be a mashpia. I am forever a makabal. I could never give because I have nothing to give because I always need to take. Why do I always have to take? Because my confidence is a bottomless pit. There's nothing there. So I always need from you. I always have to be parasitic. I could never ever give. So when I enter into a conversation with you or with my spouse or with anybody, all I'm waiting for is to be able to get energy. How can I give? I can't give. I don't have anything to give. I don't have the mental space to give. But if somebody has an inner wholesomeness, they could say, now I'm good. Now let me just be here for you. Let me just be empathetic for you. And what about with a child? You tell your child to do homework. He says, of course, no. You sell him again. No. Go to sleep. No. After four times, you plots. You plots. A guy came to me. He lost it at his child because he didn't do homework after four times. And he tells me, I'm right, no? I'm right. I say, I want to ask you a question. 
you really believe in homework? You never did homework in your life? Baruch Hashem, you never did homework. That's why you're in real estate. If you would know how to read or write, you wouldn't be in real estate. Thank God you didn't do homework. You're illiterate. You're uneducated. You don't know the first thing about anything. So you sell buildings. That's what illiterate Jews do. They sell buildings and some of them make a couple of dollars in the process. Yeah? Because you're a complete Lamarit. You know that. And Baruch Hashem, you support your family very nicely. So tell me, how valuable is homework in your life? <laughs> so he's laughing. He says, kids have to homework. Let me give you my analysis of the story. You don't care about homework. What you care is that you need to feel that you're a successful father. <laughs> a successful father means... My son obeys me. Now, your father never respected you, your mother never respected you, your siblings never respected you, your wife doesn't respect you, your shvigar for sure doesn't respect you. There's one last man that you're hoping is going to respect you, your eight-year-old kid. And suddenly, this eight-year-old kid, this mamza, this terrorist, also disrespects you. How do you feel about yourself? You feel like the loser of losers. This one final last straw that you're holding on to that you're mensch. Because the real estate didn't do it for you. You lost that too. You freaked out not about the homework. You know who was freaking out at the eight-year-old boy? A six-year-old boy was freaking out at an eight-year-old boy. You weren't a father freaking out at your eight-year-old. You were a six-year-old freaking out at an eight-year-old. You're a six-year-old who did not get recognition that he exists. Your existence comes from other people telling you you exist. In other words, from accolades. Or from your son saying, Yes, Tati. You ever see what happens at some Shabbos tables when the kids don't have Dvartoidas? You ever see what happens? A kid doesn't have a Dvartoida, and the father goes crazy. Instead of having an enjoyable Shabbos table, it becomes a nightmare. Why? Most Dvartoidas are boring. Thank God he doesn't have a Dvartoida. Thank God. When an adult starts saying a Dvartoida, you wait till he finishes. Right? Thank God he doesn't have. So he doesn't have. What happens here? It's not the Tartoida. The guy can't sit. He doesn't sit at a shear for two and a half minutes. He has ADD. He can't even listen. It's, he's right away. Why do I pay tuition? (laughs) I feel like a failure. In other words, I'm a six-year-old screaming at an eight-year-old. So I once said it about mitzvah. Kabeda Savicha doesn't mean respect your father. But it means respect your father. It also means something else. Kabeda Savicha means... Respect your own fatherhood. Respect yourself as a father. Respect the father in you. Or as we say in English, grow up. Respect the office. Respect the office. In other words, you can't be a six-year-old educating an eight-year-old. You have to be a father educating an eight-year-old. But how do you become a father if you're six? It's very hard. You have to go into yourself and say... I don't need my child to make me feel that I have value. You know why? Because if yes, I can't be a father to my child. I'm busy taking, 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 taking. I'm a parasite. My children exist to give me nachas. That's why nachas is a dangerous word you should know. It's as though the whole purpose of the child is to give me nachas. I'm sorry to break it. That's not the purpose of the child. Dennis Prager termed the phrase nachas machines. (laughs) Nachas machines. Very good. Of course, do I not want nachas for my kids? Of course, it's the greatest brachet of nachas from your children. But that's not my child. My child wasn't created to give mommy and tati nachas. 
My child was created with his own soul. I can't take full responsibility for my child in one way or another way. My job in life is my privilege to help my child develop himself or herself fully and cultivate the diamond within and try to move away the marble that's blocking the angel within my child. How that expresses itself, I never know fully. Especially if you have children with a lot of personality. <laughs> well said. Right? Okay, so you fasten your seatbelt and you say, God, let's hope this roller coaster ride doesn't end up in too many crashes and that the car stays somewhere on the track. Okay, it's not always easy, it's not difficult, it's not, it's, not, it's not always easy. Mark Twain said, when I was nine, my father was a genius, when I was 19, he was an idiot. Now I'm 29, I have a couple of kids of my own, my father has brilliant advice, it's funny how much the old man learned in 10 years. <laughs> we go through a process, right? You have to be a father, you have to be a mother. A father and a mother is not here to say, I exist, because my son is a success story. Don't use your son and manip- use him for your success. You're a mensch. You're a chelik Then you can actually be a father. Paradoxically, when you don't need your children to establish your identity, you can actually be there for them. When you don't need your wife to tell you you're a genius, you're Oigmelech Abashan, and you're smarter than Trump, and you should have been the President of the United States, you can actually be there for your wife. Not that a relationship shouldn't, be, shouldn't have praise inside. It's geschmack when you're appreciated. Feedback is important to anybody and even to a selfless person because it teaches you who you are. This, not all feedback is about ego. Some feedback is about letting you know what you do in life, what you accomplish in life. It's important to give feedback to people, right? It's another thing Jews don't do. They don't know how to give feedback. For, for separate reasons, because it's vulnerable to give feedback. But feedback is important, not only, if, even if you're wholesome feedback, is, you don't need the compliment, but you need the feedback. from the Gemara says in Tainus. Oh, wow. So this is an important distinction everybody has to ask themselves. Which self do I operate in? Do I operate in a self of... Do I live in, do I live in a shell... Do I live in a husk? In other words, what do I mean in a husk? We have to translate. Not I live in a husk. My life is a husk. My life is a husk. My life is a shell. I create a new version of self because I don't know my real truth. Or you know your real truth. And if you know your real truth, you understand. To quote the Balatanya, if you can imagine yourself as part of Ein Saif, you understand that compliments won't create you, and criticism will never destroy you. And here it looks like such a short mimer. <laughs> oh, I won't have to do it when I get home. <laughs> Three lines from the end of the first paragraph. So he said, why are clippers called clippers? They conceal a fruit. The fruit is precious. The fruit is beautiful. The fruit is delicious. You have an egois, you have a walnut, you have a hazelnut. An egois is usually a walnut. But these are examples where you have to crack it and get out the fruit. You sometimes have to break the external 
to get to the internal. You have to break the exterior in order to extract the inside. The inside is wonderful, but the inside is blocked, convoluted. The kach so, since the whole explanation here is that all clippers essentially are really sparks of Kedusha that fell, and therefore they're not recognizable, so they develop into a clipper which actually conceals their true identity. So their true identity becomes convoluted, it becomes manipulated, it becomes distorted. So just like in the physical metaphor, you have to crack the shell in order to get the nut, and sometimes the cracking is painful, sometimes the cracking is strenuous, it's difficult, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's appealing, sometimes you use a peeler, sometimes you use your finger, sometimes you need a hammer, you need a nutcracker, like we spoke in Hilchus Moshabbos. You have to use a, a hammer to crack the nut. So when we started to speak about these nitsutsus that fell down through the Shvir Sakela, and you have the clippers that conceal the nitsutsus, and on this he gave the whole marshal that the neshama before it came to the body was completely one with Ein Saif, because there was nothing blocking it. But here in this world, suddenly a whole new substitute reality is created and it needs to compensate for it so it creates a whole new reality not recognizing who it is. And the same, what happened to the neshama happened to all neshamas, to all nitzutzas. All nitzutzas are really neshamas. There's neshamas everywhere. You say, this is a neshama, there's a spark, there's a soul. So therefore, all these sparks are now in clippers. What's that clippers? So in physical, again, we understand there's a shell, there's a nut. Here we're talking a spiritual idea. It means that the nitsutsas themselves are shells. In other words, they are operating in a space, in a, in a reality, in a dimension of distortion where their own light cannot be experienced by themselves because there is a clip. And now here, I have to make an important ha'ara. When we give physical metaphors, we could never get stuck in them. Because if yes, we get stuck in a clipper. A metaphor is a clipper. <laughs> the worst thing is to get stuck in the clipper. So here it's always important to distinguish between the spiritual and the physical. In the physical, it's two things. You have a nut, and you have the shell of the nut. It's two separate things. And spatially, it's two entities. You have the orange and the orange peel. The banana and the banana peel. The bar and the wrapper are on top of the bar that you have to remove in order to get out the bar. In spiritual reality, it's not spatial. It's the same thing. When you speak about klipa in spiritual reality, we're not talking about a spark that's stuck inside of a shell and the shell is around the spark and you remove the shell, you extract the spark in spatial terms. We use that metaphor to explain the idea. But don't get confused spatially. The nitzutz is the klipa. The klippa is the nitzutz, meaning the spark of holiness becomes convoluted. It becomes manipulated, it becomes distorted, so that the energy is not really reflecting what it truly is. And it therefore becomes, in its own mind, and in its own perception, something else of what it really is. That is a ha'ara. Huh? Till, you sh- till you do shviris haklippas, that's the point. That's going to be the hamshachim. Of course. Just like the soul coming out of its chayshach, yeah. Just to be clear, these are not klipas having anything to do with Mitzrayim uniquely. These are the klipas of Olam Hatzor right. that fell and were in Mitzrayim. Right. 
However, however, yeah. Did we just say that a klipa is a product of a perception? So that was that what you meant? That klipa is a product of perception. Yeah. I was looking at the same thing. Either I'm going to see klipa or I'm going to yes. see Yes, yeah. Either you see the nitzots of kedusha, or you see it from a cover, a perspective that is based on a cover-up. Like we spoke at length in the previous days, that sometimes you see reality, but this reality has legitimacy only because there's a cover-up. In other words, there is a clipper either on your eyes or on the object or a combination of both, which allows me to create a certain reality. This reality becomes a reality due to a, a perception, which that perception is not rooted in complete truth. It's either rooted in half-truth or rooted in a complete lie. Right? That's what we mean. And then, the very same reality is something else. For one person it's this, for another person it's something else. For one person this reality doesn't exist, and for another person this reality is very powerful. You're saying the truth is relative in the case of a clipa. No. Um, uh, or not truth. <laughs> or, or lack of it. There's an absolute truth Yes. 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 But since truth is ain't soif, so therefore truth itself, you know, has many gradations. It's not like it's it's not black so and white because we're dealing with infinity. Right. So again, clippers can have let multi be multifaceted and multidimensional. It could be a thin one. It could be a thick one. It could be a complete distortion, half a distortion, and so forth. Right. But there is a quant. Uh, there is a quantum leap between Kedusha and Klip. In other words, Kedusha, even if it's the most restricted level of energy, it's not based on a lie. It may be a restricted level of energy. You may teach a Pasuk Chumash to a five-year-old boy, and you give him the most basic, basic layer of Pshat. It lacks the full depth and sophistication, but it's real. It's real, right? You're teaching a Mishnah on the most basic level. It has everything inside of it. So it's not really Klippa. Even though it's restricted, it's limited. And then there's that quantum leap to a place of distortion, where there's already a different reality that is introduced. So that's Outside true, of the divine. Right, less, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, Mylan Bakaydish, there's Mylan Bakaydish, there's a first night, a second night, a third night. Right? There's Eilam Hayitzir, there's Eilam Abriya, there's Eilam Hatzilus, there's Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chai, Yechit, etc. There's weekdays, there's Shabbos, there's Yom Tiv, there's Yom Kippur, I mean, etc. There's Haidu, there's Psukha, there's Zimna, there's Birchis Krishna, there's Krishna, there's Shmainasa. It's not a regular term here, This was the whole concept of the wonders and the miracles in the Tzrayim. It wasn't Stam, um, a dramatic uh, display of Hashem's Yod Chazok and Zroy Nituya. Basically, God says, I'm going to flex my muscles, and when I flex my muscles, watch out. But rather, there was a toichen that was being conveyed here. The whole story of Parshas Ve'eda, Parshas Boy, of all the makas, the Isis and Moifsim, as we're going to explain, has to do with a cosmic form of therapy where we have the beginning of the process of healing the sparks and extracting them from the, from the shells and the husks. To explain this, he starts off with a, a hemshech to this topic. He makes it, the Pasuk says in B'Rechus, V'nar yoytzim e'edin l'hashkes ha'sagan, u'mesham yipardid v'hoyel adalad roshim. Shema echad pishin. You remember the story, Parshas B'Rechus. The Torah says that Hashem 
created a gun. We call it Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. A river comes out of Eden to irrigate the garden. Adam and Chava are placed in that garden, which is filled with trees, including the tree of life and the tree of knowledge. From that garden, the river splits, it fragments. Russian splits into four different outlets, four rivers. You have the Chidekel, you have the Pras, you have the Gichon, and you have the Pishon. Chidekel is the Tigris, Pras is the Euphrates, um, uh, Rashi says Pishon is the Nile, and Gichon, they're still arguing about what it is. The Persian Gulf, the Black Sea, the Indian Sea, okay, whatever, there's different interpretations. Certainly the biggest action around the creation of the world happened in and around Iraq. Iraq was always the place to be. It's still the place to be if you're looking for action. It always was. It seems like Tilbiya Samashiach, some Iraq got a schus. Talmud Bavli happens in Iraq. Whatever. It's all around the Tigris and the Euphrates River. The action never subsided there for a single day. It's not a place of vacation. Ganadin in in, Biblo- in, in in Judaism is not is fight from Ganadin. <laughs> it's a different type of a different type of Ganadin. Huh? There was food there. It was the Fertile Crescent. That's where everybody ate. Um, there were trees there, yeah, if you consider that food. I mean, in America, they wouldn't consider that food. Shema Echot Pishoin, and then you have Chidekel, you have Gichin, you have Pras. Pidish, what does this mean spiritually? No, There's going to be in this paragraph a few mystical terms, but the main thing is... <laughs> You come to life, some people uh, shut down. But the main thing is to focus on the idea. Nohar Yetzimayedin, a river represents a flow. Like literally, rivers are born in, usually often in wellsprings, and the river is an extension, it's a flow. So that's why he says, Nohar is a hamshachavaha'ara. It's a flow, it's a communication, it's a light that comes from what's called Aden. Aden in Torah Sanister is Chachma Ilaadatzilis. The highest spiritual universe preceding our world is called Atzillus. And the highest level of Atzillus is called Chachma, because that's the first Sephira, the first attribute. It's called Chachma Ilah. That's Ches Ayin. The higher Chachma. That's the Aden. Shabam Alubasharin Seifbarach. In Chachma Ilah of Atzillus, you have a clear manifestation of the infinite energy. In other words, Chachma is a state of consciousness that is still cognizant of Ein Seif. Hence, through Chachma, the Ein Saif is communicated through the whole to the whole world of Atzilus. All the way down from Aden into the Garden, which is associated with the last sphere of Atzilus called Malchus. The river leaves Aden, which is Chachma, to irrigate, to give vitality, to give vivaciousness, to give irrigation, to give water to the Garden, which is Malchus. And in the world of Atzilus, he and his Midois are one. Iyu are he, Vigarmoi are his Levushim, his garments. Actually, in, in, in English you say garments. This is an expression of Zoyhar. Iyu Vigarmoi Chad. In the world of Atzilus, he and his garments are one. What does this mean? It means that is a world where there is complete unity. There is no distinction between the garment and him. What we would call between the shell. And he, there's absolute complete unity. There's a cognizance that everything is an extension of the Ein Soif. Once you hit Olam Habriya, 
now you start the world of fragmentation. In our world, it's not just a world of fragmentation and compartmentalization, it's a world of complete separation. A world in which one could walk the face of the planet for 80, 90, 100 years and not even recognize once that essentially the world is unified. That we're all part of one organic, holistic, infinite uh, unity. But in Atsilas, everything is still one. And that's why as long as it's in the garden, the river is one. It's called the world of oneness. The world of cohesiveness. The world of complete integration. It's already a world. There is a certain level of consciousness, but we discussed that other shirim. I'm not going to get it now to the difference of Atzilus, Bri, Yitzira, Asiya. It's a Sugibif Neatzma. We did it once in uh, one of the Maimorim, I think, Shavuos time. However, what's important here to understand is there is an evolution of states of consciousness. The highest one is Atzilus, where there is a complete recognition of unity, Achdus. In other words, when you speak about Anishama of Atzilus, what does it mean, Anishama of Atzilus? Atzilus doesn't mean a world that is 100 million light years away. You get into a spaceship and you take off. And after 100 million light years, you find Yitzira. After 200 million light years, you'll hit Yitzira. After a billion light years, you'll hit Bria. And after sectillion light years, you're going to bump into Atzillas. Good luck. Atzillas, Bria, Yitzira, Asiya are really four perceptions. It's four ways of looking at the same reality. In other words, Atzillas is here. It's a certain pair of glasses. It's a certain vantage point. An Hashem of Atzillas means a soul that looks at the world from the perspective of Atzillus, which is a perspective of Achtas, of complete unity. Then you have one river. There's only one river. There's one flow. It's a river, but it's one. Once it hits the tip of the world of Bria, the river is now fragmented. The beginning of fragmentation begins with four. Four rivers. Take a metaphor of rivers. No one river is similar to its colleague. Not in its substance. One river may have sweet water, one river may have clear water, the other river may have very different type of water. Not the size. The size of rivers, one continues for 200 parsa, one is a 100 parsa, a kahai gavna, Every river is completely different. The higher rivers, the spiritual rivers, are not similar. The Hainu Pishain, Pishain, which is one of the four, is Nilois, is the Nile. Sarshal Mitzrayim represents the spiritual energy of Mitzrayim. Nimshechu v'naflu by Nitzutzim Rabbim me'olam hatoyu yoisim mashenaflu l'bavel. You can't compare the Tigris River to the Euphrates River, the Nile River to the to the to the Persian Gulf. You can't compare them. What do we mean spiritually? Once there is Hischalkos, everything is already different. You can't compare the sparks of Toyo that fell into Egypt to the sparks of Toyo that fell into Babylonia, to the sparks of Toyo that fell into America, to the sparks of Toyo that fell in to other parts of the world. Every river has its own dimension. It all comes from one place, from one river. And the river comes from Aden, with this complete Achdos. And therefore there's no division whatsoever, and there's no clippers, there's no shells, there's no disunity. However, once the river starts splitting out, it starts in four. But from the four, as we know, there are no four rivers in the world. There are many more. It starts off with four. But then ultimately everything develops in its own way. It has its own chemistry, its own character, its own water, its own size, which spiritually represent the fact that the Nitsutsus, although they all come from one source, ultimately they splinter. And now every person, every country, every sar, every milieu, every animal, every atom, 
has its nitzutz, its type, its unique nitzutz, with, with its unique clippers, its unique challenges, its unique dimensions. And here you have the world of ischalkas, the world of fragmentation. And in each nar you have a different dynamic. Which would potentially explain why in Mitzrayim it was more of a necessity for Osa Samosim out of Golis Mitzrayim than out of Golis Mavel. Because right. There, there, were, there were more, there was more Nitzotis. Much more Nitzotis and much more Klippus in Mitzrayim. As Darizal says, from the 288 sparks, Veruach Elohim Merachefes, Merachefes is Reish Pei Ches Meis. 202 ended up in Egypt. Erev Rav Itam, Reish Beis. And 86 everywhere else. And that's why you don't go back to Mitzrayim. So therefore, that's why he says, Nimshech of Anaflu by Nitzutzim Rab, much more than Bava. Ganeen is on this planet. I mean, the rivers are. Wouldn't it make sense that Ganeen was? If Ganeen is in this planet, I don't know. I know Ganeen is in this book. That I know. Va'at ayuv an inyan amayv sim shehera Hashem yizbarech l'mitzrayim. That's what I heard from Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, Zechrena Levracha. He was here a few months ago, he told me. You remember he was here Shabbos? Yeah, yeah, I it. The last Shia that Rabbi Moshe Shapiro gave was in Baruch Shul. From all the places in the world, yeah, the last, the last Shia he gave was here. There was, he never gave a Shia afterwards because he was very ill. So Malava Malkai was with him. So he tells me that uh, he says as uh, in Yiddish he was speaking. So he says, "Ibich will fill in Tam Ganeden. If I want to experience Ganeden, so Shparzich in Arayin and Atzimer, I lock myself in a room. Echnem Arayis Atoyra Er Lakute Toyra. I learn it for hours and Echben in Ganeden. That's what he told me. Va'ata Yuvenin Yena Moivsim Shera Hashem is Baruch LeMitzray." Now we'll understand the miracles that Hashem showed him Mitzrayim. Hashem tells Moshe the objective is V'yedu Mitzrayim Keni Hashem. How does everyone touch this? Egypt should discover, should become cognizant that there's a God. He says, no. Pirush, V'yedu Himiloshin Shvira. In Tanakh's language, Yeda doesn't only mean knowledge. It means breaking. K'may Shekosov, Shoiftim Ches. There was a war that Gidon fights against the people of Sukkos and he uses thorns or other weapons and he says, Rashi says, The people of Sukkos will be broken through it. So he teaches, means you have to break the clippers of Mitzrayim. That's Vidvah. In order to get the nitzutz out of the shell that covers it, you have to break the shell, like the nut, walnut. If you don't break the walnut, there's no way of extracting the fruit. Well, what happens if your whole life, you say, there's nothing inside the walnut, everything is just a shell, there's nothing else. Why are you breaking my life? Somebody takes a hammer and says, stop destroying me, this is me. You say, it's not you, it's your shell. No, 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 this is me. I never learned that there's anything else but my shell. So to break the shell is the greatest favor you can do for this person. Because he doesn't even know there's something inside of it. The shell became him. There's nothing else. Sometimes you look at a person, there's no person, there's a shell. There's only a husk, there's nothing else there. It's only a husk, it's a mask. The greatest mitzvah you can do is break it. Because if you break it, suddenly they feel they're dying. But really, they start living. (laughs) 
until you don't break it, they're actually dead. They think they're alive. The moment you kill them, they have Tchir Samesim. That's what the Gemara says in Tamid. What should a person do in order to live? Gemara says he has to die. What should you do in order to die? You've got to live. So what's Pshat? In order for the Nitzitz to, what's pshat, in order for the nitzitz to come out, you have to kill the fakeness. If you don't kill the fakeness, if you don't kill the cover-ups, then that's it there is to me. I don't even know that there's something inside. So the Shvira is only, not because you want to break, because you want to give birth, because you want your truth should emerge. And remember, again, psychologically, we're not talking about two things. It's not spatial. It's one entity that is really a cover-up. It's one entity that doesn't know itself, that is completely <laughs> manipulated. So the Shvira's Haklippus is to take out the eggs. This is presumably why the word Leida means to know someone intimately, because you're breaking... Because of what course, you know someone of course. Breaking the Very good. What's the connection between Das... And v'yoyda, it's opposite. V'adam yoda es chava. To know somebody means not to know them based on their shells. And not to let them know you based on your shells. Yoda es chava means there was an honest relationship. That's why intimacy, as they say, is into me see. Into me see. Okay, you got that? So you have what to say over. Into me see. Me. I'm a real me. But sometimes me doesn't know me. Right? Sometimes that itself is a challenge. But all das comes from breaking away, chipping away on the clip in order to extract it. That's what das is. That's what knowledge is. That's the beginning of knowledge of anything, of a person or of reality. How do you look at another person? You don't look at another person without their shells. You look at yourself without your shells. When you look at yourself without your shells, so when you look at another person, you already see something else. People who live in a deeper space, they see depth wherever they go. People who live superficially only see superficiality wherever they go. They can't see anything else. That's how it is. So when you live with your own, with your, with you live with your own clipper, you see clippers everywhere. That's what you know. You don't know anything else. Everything is clippers, right? People who are cynical see cynicism everywhere. People who lie think that everybody lies. They always say. You know when somebody starts telling you, I'm telling you the truth. I swear to you, I'm telling you the truth. Why do you think I think you're lying? <laughs> Unless you think you're lying. You're saying the truth. Because we, we naturally, what we own is what we project to others. So the Indian, now we come back to Mitzrayim. Precious words. By breaking the clipper, you're not breaking you're allowing for birth, you're allowing for revelation, you're allowing that the nitzutz should experience itself as part of Ein Soif. There should be Gilu Yen Baruch Hu Nitzutz. How do you translate that in English? It means that the spark which is completely covered should be able to experience itself as an expression of infinity. To the point Sheyuchlal, it should be able to be submerged, subsumed, Included in Elikusa Yisbarach. This is the Pshat. When the Jews want to define what happened at the end of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim by Kriyas Yamsuf, we say it every day. Sus v'roichvay ramavayom. How do we touch it? The horse and its rider, he hurled into the sea. Rama, he threw, he lifted up and threw, cast into the sea. So he touches Azai. Pirish, haroichev huaklipa, haroichev humechasa alanitzutz. The roichev, the rider, is the clipper that defines the horse. Somebody who knows horseback riding well knows the deep relationship between 
the horse rider and the horse. Emes, you have here Chevra who know this union. It's not Pashat. From all animals, the horse has a very special emotional relationship with the rider of the horse. It di- first of all, he directs the horse, but there's also those who know horses, they know everything. The horse knows the person, the person knows the horse. Very sensitive animal, the horse. Sus v'roich v'roich says as a marshal. V'roichiv is the klipa, v'roichiv v'mechas al-anitzut, v'zel inyan merkiv is pari. That's why pari was so busy with his chariots. <laughs> the chariots are representative of the roichvim, who are roichiv al-asus, v'aydei shvirasam nizgalu anitzutzes v'nichalu b'en sayv baruchu. He takes the sus and the roichvim. The sus and the roichiv of the sus, which is manipulating the horse, because the klipa completely redefines the nitzutz, Rama Vayom. Vayom is a metaphor of Almadis, Kasia, the world where there's no separation. Because in the Yam, back to the Nar. That's why he spoke about the Nar. Back to the Yam. Creatures in the Yam never leave the sea. You can't tell a fish, say, go to dry land and live. Like the famous Marshal Rabbi Kiva, Gemara and Brachas, Amachalaf. Right? The fish lives in the ocean. What does that represent? It represents somebody who knows he's part of Ein Saif. That's his life. You don't go out of the sea. There's a world, the sea is a world of achtas. When you look at the ocean, you see no fragmentation. The Gemara says in Chulun, When you look at the ocean, all you see is water. That's Pshat Kimala Aretz Deyes Hashem, Kamayim Layam Mechasim. One. Under the water, there's a whole world. But they're all defined by the waterbed. In other words, when we speak about Atzillus, it doesn't mean there's no separation, there's no individuality. But it means every individual sees himself or herself as submerged in one bed of water. So there's no distinction. What do I mean there's no distinction? I may have a different mission than you, but it doesn't put me in a world that's separate from you. Distinctions and diversity does not translate into fragmentation and disputation. In other words, to create unity, you don't need everybody to be the same. You need everybody to understand that they are an expression of infinity. And on the contrary, if I am like you, I'm denying infinity. Because infinity means that truth is not limited to one color. Infinity means... It includes infinite colors. So by talking about everybody being the same, we deny the infinity of God. You understand? When we define unity as everybody looking the same, it's because we don't appreciate that the source of reality is infinite. In other words, we really believe that God has a color. So one community says God is orange. The other community says God is yellow. One decided he's green, and one decided he's black. One decided he's white. Shine. But what they, they all believe the same thing. That's the funny thing. The black and the white actually believe the same thing. God looks one way, and we define what He looks like. Instead of humans being created in God's image, God is created in man's image. Or whatever that image you want to call. Ain't Saif is Ain't Saif. So every color is part of Ein Saif. So I don't need all colors to be the same. I need all colors to understand that they're part of the Yam. So you take Sus V'Reich V'Rama V'Yam, that's Molar Azeus Hashem Kamayim Le'Yam Echas. U'Bezei Yitur Etz Mashakasu B'Kriyas Yam Sov V'Yedu Mitzrayim Ki'Ani Hashem. L'Chayra Tamua. She'Lahalang Siv L'Nisha B'Amad Echad. says nobody was left over. So how do you say they knew? You can't know if you're dead. Ela De Pirish V'Yedu Lashin Shvira. V'Yedu Mitzrayim is it was the Shvira. 
So Vyedu has two interpretations. You break the outer so that the inner could know. You break the outer, one Yediyah, so that there could be a real Yediyah that the Nitzutzus really know. All the ten Makas had the same function. In Mitzrayim there were so many Nitzutzus and there were so many Klippus that there was a need for all the ten plagues which each one in its own way kept on breaking the shells and breaking the husks to be able to extract the Kedusha. They themselves didn't need it. It says in Shmois that they believed. In order to extract the sparks which were mamish absorbed really in the clippers. So all the makas, it wasn't stomachs a story to show off for Egypt. There were different ways that the Jews could come out of Mitzrayim. Different ways to break Parah. Makas Pchoydas could have happened the first day. The Pshat is, this was a process of an educational process for the Jewish people, an educational process for the world, and a redemptive process for all the Nitzutzes that existed in Mitzrayim to be able to emerge. On, on this word here, he says, uh, is it possible that he means here mamash, the klipas that were most hard, physical, yes. hard shells in yes. Mitzrayim, as opposed to Yisrael, right. with their own klipas, that they were thinner membranes, yes. and that, for that, vayamin on they didn't Yes, yes, that. yes. They don't need that shvira. They don't need that shvira. And we understand this in relation, in, 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 in work with people. Sometimes a person has to be broken to become a human being. It's sad, but sometimes, as long as the person is not broken he will remain a shell forever. Because you have the security and the comfort zone to remain stuck. We all know that crisis can lead to destruction. Crisis sometimes leads to the deepest opportunities. In fact, if you'll speak to most people, I don't know, many, many people who uh, have begun a journey, call it a journey of recovery, a journey of, 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 of real growth, it usually was initiated, or at some point, there was a tremendous breakdown, which is called Shvira, where their system broke down, emotionally, psychologically, socially, spiritually, religiously. Things, nothing was working, to the point that they looked in the mirror and they said, why am I alive? Or what's going to be the future of my life? That moment, we always look, like, we always look at as the lowest moment of our life. Really, that moment, paradoxically, is often the deepest moment of life. In fact, it may be the moment when you're closest to God. For Haraya, you'll see that those people will often crave looking back for that moment. Why is that the moment you may be closest to God? Because that's actually when God reached it out and broke the clipper. And when he breaks it, it's like being thrown off a bridge. And of course, when you're thrown off the bridge, you don't know that there's a mattress going to come out and uh, there's going to be arms that are going to catch you. You just feel suspended in the air somewhere, you know, off the bridge without anything. At least before I had a clip, I was comfortable with it. That's why throughout the 40 years in the desert, all the Jews were saying is, let's go back to Egypt. It's like a battered woman syndrome. At least there, I'm, a, I'm in a comfortable shell. It's abusive, but I know what it is. So when that happens, when it breaks, it's extremely scary. And when it's scary, when that, that scariness is the beginning of salvation. Because the, the clip is broken and the nitzitz could actually emerge. 
the truth can emerge. You can, for the first time, hear somebody say something emes, say something truthful, because everything else broke down. Why does it have to happen that way? Sometimes the clip is very thick. There's no way of getting into it. It's just too... It, it, it's completely behind... Uh, of course it's ongoing work. Of course. How does this clip happen? How does it happen? It starts off with God's work, always. He starts off the process. So there's always him to blame. That's number one. Like he said, we didn't do that, that he did. Once that came into reality, now Baruch Hashem, humanity, knows how to uh, enhance on it. Enhance on it. Huh? What's your pshat? You want me to start blaming your mother? I mean, what do you want me to do? I could start blaming your mother. We could do that if you want. And she could blame her mother, and she'll ultimately go back to Chava, who's going to blame the snake. And then anyway, we're going to have to go back to God. So let's just start with him, right? I once saw a yid. He came into a shul. The shul was a messy shul Friday night. And he takes off his coat and he folds it and he puts it on the floor. Somebody says, why do you put it on the floor? He says, when I come back, it's anyway going to be on the floor. So why don't we just start this way? It'll be nice on the floor. You're going to go back there anyway. But the truth is, there's a very healing, there's a very healing idea. Because if ultimately this is essential to the process of creation, it means you're not the Meshuggah outcast who's suffering like nobody else. It means that this is the Avoidah. The Avoidah of life is Shvirus Aklippus. Shvirus Aklippus is not just a Vart. It's the Avoidah of life in everything. Adam Yoda Eschav is also Shvirus Aklippus. Shvirus Aklippus is the daily Avoidah of not allowing the chitzainiyas to redefine the pnimiyas. On the contrary, allowing the pnimiyas to define the chitzainiyas. Now I want to learn one more shtickle here. We're not going to be able to finish today, but I want to learn one more shtickle here and finish with it. Now comes a moira de Now we'll understand why the opening of the story before anything was one miracle. When Moshe comes to Hashem and says, nobody's going to believe me, he says, take the stick, throw it down, let it become, as he does it, it becomes a snake. Moshe runs away. He says, hop on this snake at the tail, and he does that and it becomes a stick. When he's going to Parai, that's in Shmois. When he's coming to Eira, comes to Parai, what does Hashem say before you go to Parai? The first thing he's going to tell you is, show me a miracle. What should you do? Tell Aaron to take a stick, throw it to the ground. Aaron does that, the stick converts into a serpent, a tannin, a snake. What happens after that? Pari's magicians do the same thing. And then the snake of iron converts back into a stick, and ultimately his stick swallows up their sticks. That is the introduction for all the ten makas. Rashi says, it says, Vayivla mate iron es matoisim, Zakrashi la achar, Shechazar venepach lamata, Bola es matoisim. It had to first become a stick. At the surface, we read the stories, and it's like, okay, another story, you know. Let my people go, let my people go. No, 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 I won't let them go. And with all the songs you'll hear, Mitzvah Hashem, tonight at the Shabbos table, hopefully. And uh, if you don't hear the songs, don't get angry. It's fine, you can sing another song. And uh, But what is the point? What is the point is basically, once in history, God said, I'm going to display some... Uh, I'm going to display some of my uh, my uh, 
My arsenal, yeah. My, my arsenal, and that's what we do. The Alter Rebbe Tainas, and he says, no, 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 no. This is the whole vart of what happened. This is not a small story. It's not a trick. Trump could have done another billion tricks. If, he, if you're the creator of the world, so sticks could become snakes, and snakes could become sticks. And leopards could become sheep, and goats could become lionesses. Yeah, you could do it all. And the sun could become the moon, and the moon could look become a human being, or a mouse. Fine. The vart is that this story contains the entire spiritual message. Why? Hey. The ten makas we say was to break clippers. What's klippa? Klippa we say is a shell. What does it really mean? It means the conception of life. That's just, you have to you see everything here has to be understood. Stop with the word clippus. Clippus is shells. It's too mystical. It's too, it's too non-personal. He says clippus means the conception that you're detached from God. That means you're living in a shell. The conception that you're detached from infinity. The river is mine. The need to take credit for the river. That's the greatest clip. Why do you have to take credit for the river? Because you feel you don't exist. That's why we take credit for things. I don't exist. Why don't I exist? Because I'm living in a distorted reality that I'm separate from Ein Saif. When, you, when you're one with Ein Saif, you don't have to prove your existence. God doesn't sit every morning and say, okay, who's going to give me a compliment today to prove my existence? Even though sometimes in davening it could sound that way with all the halalukas. How many halalukas does he want to hear? Okay, but that's a separate sugya. You're not dealing with an existence that needs validation. When you, when, you, when you don't exist, then the river has to be yours. Then I need this, I need this, I need this. Why? Because there's nothing else there. So all clip is basically the distortion that you're a So therefore, you become so arrogant because you're so small. When you have nothing, you have to have everything. You're not connected to anything real. Pari called him the God of Gods, but he had to be a God. What are the Moifsim, the wonders in Egypt? To demonstrate to the Egyptians. Even though they're Taka Klippis, Mamish, look what they're doing. They should know that every moment their entire vitality and substance is coming from holiness. And really they're not separate as they are in their own false hallucination and delusion. They're completely one and aligned and submerged in godliness. Rak. Really? Tell this to Parai. Sure. Rak. The vitality comes to them through veils and through an evolutionary process of many, many gradations that are so powerful in the diluting of the energy, in the compromising of the energy. The concealments are so powerful that the Ein Soif that is fueling my consciousness allows my consciousness to say, I made the river. It allows my consciousness to be able 
to live completely in a shell, and that itself is coming from God, from Kedusha. The Ein Soif is allowing a reality that says there's no such a thing as Ein Soif, there's only me. Why is that? If it's Ein Soif energy, because it comes through such concealment that it can be completely distorted and misused, what we call me'ila. You completely misuse it. So what has to happen to really challenge them and nullify them? All you have to do is give a little oir, a little more than a tzimtzum, a little higher than tzimtzum, meaning give a little dosage of energy that's not restricted, and then they cease to exist. You know why? Because they never existed. <laughs> Their whole existence is really ain't soif. It's just the ain't soif is concealed, so therefore, a distortion of reality creates a substitute existence. The moment reality emerges, the moment you strip them beer, the moment the oil is not mitzumtzum anymore, the moment they face truth, you don't have to fight them. This is basically what the moivsim were. So, he wants to say, what are we going to do here in Mitzrayim? Let me tell you what we're going to do. The first message comes out in the stick that becomes a snake. And I want to say here outside the Nekuda, before we're going to learn inside the Mitzrayim as we continue uh, uh, um, uh, on Monday. And that is as follows. A stick and a snake are very interesting. A stick by definition is straight. It's a branch of a tree that develops into a cane, a stick. We use it as a walking stick or whatever we use it. That's a stick. A snake is anything but straight. We talk about the serpentine gate. Right? You ever watched a snake? It goes in one direction and then it curves and it curves back and it curves back. So a mat is a straight stick and a snake is very, very crooked. It curves. There's something very sophisticated about the serpentine gate. But as we know, it's also lethal and poisonous. The stick becoming a snake and then becoming a stick again is really the whole story. There's nothing more to the story. That's the whole story. The stick represents a flow, like a vav. A flow from what? From the divine energy that comes down throughout the world into this world. That's the stick. And it's straight. Meaning, on the bottom you could look up and you could see where it comes from. What happens in life, however? The same stick becomes a snake. The same energy becomes suddenly a nachash. And here, nothing is straight anymore. Everything is crooked. Everything is distorted. You're going this direction, then you go this direction. Then you go the opposite direction. The maneuvers in very different and conflicting directions, meaning that very same energy becomes distorted, crooked in perception, where suddenly your entire entity is really Kedusha. God is with you at every moment. You're part of Ein Soif. You're really infinite. But suddenly you take that energy and like a snake, completely distort it. Completely your perception becomes a perception of a shell and a husk that blocks the truth of your reality. But wait a minute. It's really a stick. And therefore the snake is not really a snake. The snake is what? It's a stick that went weary. So what do you really have to do? You just have to touch it. <laughs> you have to look at it. You, get, you run away from it. He says, don't run away. Go into it. And you'll see it's going to become part of a stick. It's going to become a stick because that's really it. Now I'm going to give you, in conclusion, I'm going to give you three models for this in, in our contemporary world, in our own psyche. In our own psyche. A husband comes to me and he says, I hate my wife. 
A whole shear you were sleeping. A whole shear you were sleeping. Now you woke up. Strange story. Yes, present company always excluded, especially you. Huh? No, 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 I shloughed the guns to share. I said, I hate my wife. He woke up. He says, I despise her. I feel alienated. I, I, I don't like spending time. Every time she calls, I already, uh, I already don't feel good. No, what does it look like? What do we, lo- we call this hate, disgust, I loathe a person, I'm not interested in a person, leave me alone. Why does he, they live together? Whatever, you work it out. It's a business relationship. You have kids, whatever. It's cheaper than a divorce. Right? That's the surface. One second. Let's find out. Maybe there's something else. Is it maybe possible that it's really the opposite story? He really loves his wife terribly. Tremendously. Elamai, this is a man, like many a man, who needs attention from his wife. He never told it to her. She never picked up on it. He wants his wife to give him tremendous amount of attention and recognition and nurture him and empower him and build him up and accept him for who he is. Desperately. Which is a very deep and vulnerable and primal human need, especially for men. He never shared it or she never understood it or he maybe didn't know it about himself and he was embarrassed. So what happens? After a while that he's not getting it, in order to protect himself and cover up his pain, what does he do? What does he do? This person is a horrible person. Why? I need you so much and it's so painful that I don't get it from you that the only way I could deal with you is by dismissing you out of my life and you create this terrible negative energy because the expectation and the potential was so deep and it was destroyed in my life and therefore what you bring up for me is so much pain. In other words, if you really look at the hate, what do you see? You see love. Story number two. A child is alienated from his father. You ask the boy, you ask the girl, what about your father? Oh, my father? My father is not a father. I don't have a father. I don't have a father. What happened? Is it always that the father was a monster, was a Russia Marusha, or maybe it's the other way around? Maybe this child loves his father. Maybe this girl loves the father. They needed a father more than anybody else, perhaps, because of their sensitivities. The father wasn't emotionally available. Again, whatever it is, it's not even a gayer now. The child, to experience that pain is too difficult. So what, what does he do? He looks at this person and he says, this person is, 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 is a monster. This person, I, not only do I not need, this person I, I don't have, I don't need him, I'm not interested in him. Your lack of interest is really profound interest. In fact, the depth of your lack of interest is your interest. You're so interested, you're so much connected, that's why you have to be so disconnected. A third situation is a father called me and tells me that his... Uh, his son was dust. His teenage son was diagnosed as uh, antisocial, somewhat Asperger's. Doesn't like people. Can't deal with people. And he tells me that his wife and him watched a video of his child, of his this kid as a young kid, and he was the most social in the whole family. They they forgot. He was the most social. He was fearless. He hung out with everybody. He was inquisitive. And suddenly now he doesn't have a dosage of curiosity. Nothing. He says the whole world doesn't interest him. Is it possible that it's the other way around? His lack of social interest comes because of his 
profound social connections. And therefore, he felt people so deeply that perhaps if he was hurt or backstabbed, the only way to deal with it was say, I don't care about anybody because it's too painful for me to be present and then get hurt. This is all an example of one reality, and that is what looks like one thing is not only not that, it's the exact opposite. And the way to fix it is not by running away from it. The way of fixing it is by looking into it, by holding on to it, by gazing into it. That's the whole story of Klippa. The story of Klippa is it's a, st- it's a stick. It's really love. You love this person. This marriage is actually a beautiful marriage. It's so beautiful that it became so horrible. <laughs> if it wouldn't be beautiful, if you wouldn't see in this woman so much and so much potential, it wouldn't be horrible. It's so beautiful, it became so horrible. Because the energy got distorted in your mind. And what your psyche sees is, I love this person, I hate this person. This person makes me miserable. Imagine if you could see what's behind that misery. Behind that misery is, I really have a need that you can fill, and you could share it, and you can articulate it, and the other person can understand it, and start giving it to you. Listen, it takes a lot, because you have to break the clip. For 20 years, you hated your wife. It's not easy to say, I really love this person. You have to break your own clipper. But what happens when you break it? You reveal that the snake was a stick. And therefore the snake will become a stick. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.